Good evening, everyone. Next Tuesday, Bezrat Hashem, it's the last lecture here until after Sukkot. We're going to have a two-month break. We will be back, Bli Neder, most likely after Sukkot. The first Tuesday after Sukkot, we'll be back. Of course, you don't need uh, to wait for my announcement. You always go on my website, divineinformation.com. You click on events and shows you here in advance where I'll speak. So you can see every night what place and what address and what time. Sometimes it's in Hebrew, most of the time in English. Also, tomorrow I speak in, uh, in a very old shul here in 3015 Glenwood Road. That used to be a, Jew, a religious Jewish neighborhood a hundred years ago. I spoke a few lectures in that shul. There's a very special atmosphere over there. Tomorrow night at 8 p.m., Bezrat Hashem. This coming Monday, we have the big event, Rabbi uh, Alona Navar, Rabbi Aaron Ruven, and myself in Bet El uh, Shul in Queens. If you come, come early because as a lot of people expected to come, I, I'm afraid the place will not be big enough. This shul will be for Efua Shlema, an easy birth of Rachel Bat Yeshua. Also, Berfuat Odaya Bat Esther. And uh, also, Berfuat Shlema of Menashe Ben Nekadam. And Leilui Nishmat Moshe Ben Yitzchak and Yitzchak Ben Moshe Chaimov. Also, L'Refua Shlema of Rachel Badina. Yesterday, another baby was forgotten in a car in Israel, a year and a half years old. For over two hours, he was in 110 degrees. Every summer, few babies getting killed like that. What a way to die for a pure, small baby like this to, to cook inside a car. The, the heat in Israel is so strong when all the windows are closed and the humidity is so strong, probably he couldn't breathe. I always had this dilemma, if the mother that forgot him or the father, if they really deserve not to get another punishment. Or perhaps they already got the worst punishment a person can get in his life. Do you know a bigger punishment than that? You put them in jail. Someone like that. Obviously, he didn't want to forget his baby. Of course, negligence. Maase Satan. I don't know. This, this, the devil is playing with people's minds sometimes. People are so concerned. People are so disturbed that they get to a situation that they can forget their baby for two hours in a car while they're going shopping. How can it be? I don't understand. How can it be? I mean, you go to the shopping with a baby in your car. You left the house. You know you took your baby with you. If you're a mother, what? what yeah, if, even, if, even if you have 50 kids, doesn't matter. You came, you came, you came to the store with a baby. You know that. I guess what happened is between the time they leave the house 
until they arrive to the place, they're already so concerned and so disturbed that they forget that they, have, they came with a baby and they leave the baby inside in the back seat, in the car seat. It's a disaster, Mamash a disaster. There was a case like that in Israel about 20 years ago. There was one thief, a very famous thief, who was in and out of jail. But he, he didn't get such long terms, like six months, a year. The last time the judge told him, if you're going to get caught one more time stealing, you're going to go to prison for seven years. It's called Sheva Shanim Al Tnai, conditional punishment. Before we give you the punishment for your new crime, automatically this conditional punishment of seven years immediately goes into effect. And you know, it's very difficult to change bad habits. And this thief saw a car with dark windows. And he somehow he has this trick to open the car. As he broke into the car looking to steal something, what did he see? A baby screaming in the back, cooking, red, blue, about to die any minute. So, of course, he gave him mouth-to-mouth breath, you know. <laughs> Somehow he saved his life. But he didn't know if he's going to survive or not. He needs ambulance. But he had a big dilemma now. I call the police now. They come here. They're going to know I broke into the car. I'm going to seven years in prison. If I run away, this baby will die. Big dilemma. Who wants to sit seven years in prison besides the extra punishment, which can be another year or two? He said, no matter what happened, I don't let this baby die. So he called the police, and they showed up, and the chief of the police right away recognized him. He said, who called the police? You? Those days they didn't have cell phones, so it has to be more than 20 years ago, because he was dialing from a payphone, you know, remember that used to have a card, telecard, you put the card inside the payphone and you dial, that's how it used to be. So, who, who called? You called? He said, yes. And the policeman said to him, and how exactly you knew there's a baby inside the car? You broke into the car again, huh? He didn't answer. And the policeman said, he knew, he took care of his other cases. He told him, I give you 30 seconds to disappear, I did not see you here. The chief of the police. And he said, run quickly, before all the other cars come, police, this, they're going to see you here, they're going to have to arrest you. And the guy ran away, and after that he became Baal Tshuva, and then he came and told the story. How, how he became Baal Tshuva, because he went to some rabbi, one of the big rabbis in Bnei Brak, and he told him the story. Why, why did Hashem made me break into a car that was a baby dying there and actually saved his life? And in the end, uh, the rabbi told him, you save a soul of a baby, but what about your own soul? It's time now to save your own soul. You're saving other people, it's very important, but what about your own soul? That's how slowly, slowly he became Baal Tshuva. But you know what it is? I heard that they invented something now in cars that you cannot forget the babies inside. 
it's, it's, it's warns. I don't know exactly how you do it. Maybe it's connected to the car seat automatically with Bluetooth. And you cannot, uh, today with the technology, it's a piece of cake for the Israelis to invent things like this. It's one, two, three. It can save life. One other thing. Before I forget, before I start the lecture, many people ask me about my books in Israel in English. Because there's a lot of Americans there. So if anyone wants to purchase the book in English in Israel, he has to call Shachar Shammai, 054-842-0242. area code. Because a lot of people send me emails, it takes too much of my time to keep answering each one where they can get the book in English. In Hebrew, you can get it in stores and in, uh, in some other places, but the English one is the, is the address, Bezrat Hashem. So, let's move on. We're going to speak a little bit about Parashat Pinchas today. Uh, yesterday I concluded Parashat Balak, I spoke about the Aftarah. But before we get into Parashat Pinchas, the lecture yesterday was almost three hours long. The last few Monday night lecture were each one of them Mamash a masterpiece. Mamash, very strong Musar. You can see right away from the reaction of the people. You don't want to miss it. And this Bezrat Hashem, this year also Bezrat Hashem will be good as well. And uh, the end of Parashat Balak, after all the tricks that Bilam is trying to get some money from Balak, which hired him to curse the Jewish nation, everybody knew his skills, that he's able to curse, he's dangerous, he has one eye. By the way, you should know, this beast Bilam not only had one eye, two mind, he was also crippled. Crippled. Meaning, is can I walk straight? And that's, by the way, that the Torah say, the Torah say that uh, Bilam Bike, Rashi writes, Bilam Bikesh Le'abed Am, he Bikesh Le'abed Am, he, be, he came to, he wanted to destroy the nation that celebrates Shlosha Regalim, the three festivals of the Torah. That's the connection. Why the, why the Rashi doesn't say Bikesh Laabed? He wanted to destroy the nation that puts Tfilin. He wanted to destroy the nation that keeps Shabbat. He wanted to keep a nation that, uh, you know, that sit in a sukkah. It could be many different things. Why, the, why the, from all the mitzvot of the Torah, they stuck to the Shloshar Egalim? What's the connection? The Midrash say that Hashem came to, be, to Bilam, he say, well, you, you, go, you want to destroy this nation that, that keeps the Shloshar Egalim? Who is going to keep the Shloshar Egalim if you kill them, if you curse them? He said, I will keep. I will be. Instead of them, we will, we will keep. He said to him, no, you can't. Why? Because you Baal Mum. How are you going to serve in Bet HaMikdash? You're missing an eye. You crippled Kohen has to be without any birth defect to serve inside the Bet Hamikdash. Have to be in perfect condition. What's why? If a Kohen is crippled or is missing an eye, 
is not righteous enough to serve Hashem? Who, who, who brought him to the world with one eye? Who brought him to the world with a, with a problem in his leg? Or who gave him that problem later on in his life that now he cannot walk straight? It's all from Hashem anyway. It's not my fault, it's your fault. So what do you want? I want to serve you. You made me like this. Let me serve you the way you made me. The answer is because it's not honor to Hashem that someone that has some kind of a defect is the one that was chosen to serve in the holiest place in the world. Not that he's less. He could be more righteous than someone else. No problem. It doesn't look good in the eyes of the world. I once explained to you that Chilul Hashem does not go by right or wrong. It goes by what the public understands. Not always right or wrong. i give you an example. If you need a bathroom, it's mitzvah right away to go to the bathroom. You cannot hold it. It's not good. Like if a person holds his bathroom for a long time, many times he does it, he can become barren. He can lose his ability to have children. It's, it's no joke. To the point that the Ben Ishchai said that whenever you need it, even in the middle of the street, you're allowed to do Of course, no one will do such thing. You run and find a place. But what happens if you need a bathroom and you see McDonald's now? We have a yamaka, you have tzitzit, beard, peot. You walk inside McDonald's, you use the bathroom, you come out after five minutes, few Jews will see a religious guy comes out of McDonald's. What's the first thing will come out, of, come out to their mind? Look at this faker. Look at this faker. With all this tzitzit, God is eating a cheeseburger in McDonald's. People like to look for the negative, not the positive. Automatically, tomorrow, all over the internet, someone will even make a video. Look, look who eats in McDonald's. Someone told me a story on Shabbat, very disturbing story. When I hear the stories, I can only beg that it's really an exaggeration or a lie that someone made up. But the story was kind of reliable, the source. What was the source? One uh, man that married to a Swiss woman, a woman from Switzerland. She came to America, she married him, she got a green card. She never wanted to become an American citizen. As you know, with the years, they made it more and more difficult for people with green card to stay, they have to stay here more than six months out of the year. They have a lot of limitation. Meaning, an American passport is much better than a green card. It wasn't like that always. It used to be the same thing. You can go in, come out, same rights. Green card can be canceled now. American passports, you cannot cancel. Once you're American, you're American passport, that's it. But green card, they can take it away from you. You did not fulfill your condition. We canceling your green card. That's it. Can I come to America? That's why she realized I might as well get my passport now before they're going to change the rules. I won't be able to even get a passport, even though I live in America for more than 20 years. So they went to the immigration office. They've been sitting there for an hour, her and her husband. And a woman came with a boy, sat there for five minutes, and they called the woman, the Goya. And this guy, the religious guy and his religious wife, they're already for an hour over there. 
So he asked her, I wonder, we've been sitting here for an hour, they don't call us. You just came, they called you right away. I wonder if they forgot about us. So the woman said, no, no, it's because we were here already. It's not, we were here earlier today. We just needed to go and come back. So, yeah, so she asked them, where are you from? Where are you guys from? It was a friendly Goya. Italian woman. So they say, we are from Monsi. And she said, oh, we are neighbors. I'm from New City. New City is 15 minutes from Monsi. Next town or two towns next. There are already Jews moving to live there, you know. So she said, I own the Italian restaurant in New City. If you ever want to come and be my guest, dinner is on me. Now this is Hasidish people, you know. Peot, you cannot, you cannot go wrong. Some Jews, the way they look, you doubt what are they, you know. But with Hasid, you know right away a Jew. You don't. <laughs> what, else, what else? Who else has peot like this? No one in the world besides the Hasidim. So he told her, Are you, is your restaurant kosher? She says, somewhat. 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 He said, what do you mean somewhat? She said, well, you know, I mean, it's not officially kosher, but I can tell you that a lot of people like you with this coming to eat by me. That's what she told them. You're going to see. You understand what's happened here now? This is an Italian woman that owned a Goish restaurant in New City, place of Goim. In Italian restaurant, you have plenty of pork and shrimps and all kinds of other things that they cook over there. Plenty of pork. Meatball from pork, lots of things. She's inviting two Hasidish people, a man and a woman, husband and wife, to eat in her restaurant out of ignorance, thinking nothing is wrong, because anyway, other Hasidim with peot eating by her. My heart came out in the middle of Shabbat when I heard that story. Do you understand to what level this generation went down to? Now the question is, this Hasidim, I don't know how many, one, two, ten, twenty, only Hashem knows. I don't know the rest of the details. But it happened, obviously, because she That's called, by the way, Masiach Lefitumo. A Goy is not a reliable witness, because he can come and fool you. But if the Goy speaks to his friend, and from his conversation to his friend, you understand certain details, you know the Goy didn't come to lie to you, because there's two Goyim talking. They don't understand, they have to impress you. You happen to hear. This is a reliable testimony. Why? Because if the guy come to the rabbi and tell him a story, how do you know? Maybe he came purposely to lie. But if the guy say to another friend a story and you happen to be around the world and you heard that, you cannot ignore that. So this Goya, Naive, she doesn't understand, kosher, not kosher. She said, oh, well, if other people eat by me, I, I assume that it's good for you as well. That's why she invited them. Now the question is like this. 
These people that went to eat there, they made two major sins. Major sin. One is a very serious sin, and the other one is a million times bigger sin. I'll explain. To sit in a non-kosher restaurant and eat non-kosher food in non-kosher plates that was cooked in the same pots and things that they cook pork, it's literally eating pork. So they eat chazir. These chasidim eat chazir every time they go there. They eat chazir. But which punishment they're going to get for eating chazir or for the chilul Hashem? People sit in a restaurant, all kinds of goyim. Some goyim understand what's kosher and not kosher. And they see someone with a beard like this and peot and a black hat sitting and eating spaghetti with meat and cheese and it's pork. It's not a, it's not a fool, this goy. You understand what's going on here? So look at these Jews. Look at them. With all this custom and look what they do. They come to a non-kosher restaurant. Immediately, that's a very big Chilul Hashem. Now I tell you, I'll try to explain to you how can something like this happen. Over the years, many, many times, unfortunately, people refer to me, Hasidim, that went off the derech, became not Shomer Shabbat, Mamash became like Goim. However, when a regular Israeli becomes off the derech, takes off his kippah, has no beard, he begins to dress like a goy and behave like a goy. No one ever knows that he used to be religious. You can't see anything. He looks like a regular chiloni. A month ago he was uh, in yeshiva. A month later he's naked on a beach walking and eating... Uh, non-kosher on Shabbat. Nobody ever know who this guy was. Same thing by Litvish. If you have an Ashkenazi, Israeli, American, doesn't matter, Yerushalayim, Bnei Brak, he decides to leave the religion. What happened? He throw his black hat to the garbage, get rid of his yarmulke, grow some hair, get rid of his beard, if he had a beard. And that's it. Wear jeans, t-shirt, and he's going. That's it. 100%. By the Hasidim, is not like that. The Hasidim, before they take off their alphabet, it's going to be the last step in their life. First, they're going to leave, they're not going to daven, they're not going to eat kosher. Next thing, they're going to start breaking, they're going to start breaking Shabbat, not putting tefillin. Slowly, slowly, until they become fully goyim. But they still walk for years with the beard and the peot and the hat. And the long coat. Why? If you already behave like a goy, if you already made sins with goyot, if you already make all the sins of the Torah, what is the point of dressing like this? The answer is, I'm, I'm talking from conversation with them. I'm not making it up. This is what they've been telling me. I said to them, but so why are you still dressed like this? One of them was trying to convince me that the Torah is not from Hashem. And he's still dressed like a Hasid. I said to him, so what is all this custom for? Why are you dressed like this? I don't understand. If you already became a goy, not only became a goy, already have a child from a goya. This is the guy, you know, that's from one of the most strict Hasiduyot. So, so he said to me, 
most of the time you get one of the two answers or both. I don't want to kill my parents. So I stay like this. Until my parents pass, then I'll take it off. Or I don't want to ruin the shiduchim of my brothers and sisters. If the people in the community will know that I became a goy, nobody would want to marry them. I don't want to ruin the life of my brothers and sisters. So that's why I continue to dress like this. But where is the problem now? The problem is that with dressing like this, is every day doing Chilul Hashem. Because he already have no emuna, no connection to Hashem. He goes to horrible places. He rents terrible videos. He goes into non-kosher restaurants to eat. And he does a lot of other bad things. And everybody thinks this is a religious guy. That's the danger here. Somebody else take off his Jewish custom. That's it. You don't know he's Jewish. He can think he's Italian. He's Mexican. Whatever he is. How would you know he's Jewish? So there's no Chilul Hashem at least. This kind of Hasidim thinking they're helping someone, they don't understand every day of their life they make the worst Avera in the Torah, the worst sins in the Torah. What is it? Chilul Hashem. There is no way to fix Chilul Hashem in your lifetime. Every sin you can fix. You murder one million people, you can do tshuva. You don't believe me? Check Nevuzardan. He killed more than 20 million people. Destroyed Bet HaMikdash with Nebuchadnezzar. Was worse than Hitler in his time, 2,600 years ago. In the end, did tshuva and converted to Judaism. Rabbi Nevuzardan, the butcher. He used to butcher people, now he butchers sheep. That's it. That's a story. It happened. It happened. You can be the worst prostitute in history. You do tshuva, you convert, Rachav, you marry Yoshua Benun. You go from the lowest to the highest. Any despicable sin you can think of, you can do tshuva. Except one. Chilul Hashem, you cannot do tshuva. Whatever you do, it still stays in your file until the last breath of your life. Until the minute you die. It remains. There's no way to delete it. What? You stop doing Chilul Hashem. You're very careful. You regret it. You are ashamed. You beg Hashem with praise every, more, every day to, to forgive you. You beg Him, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm ashamed, I was stupid, please don't, please don't, don't be upset at me. Fifty Yom Kippur passed. Every Yom Kippur, you're in a shul 25 hours, fasting, crying, giving tons of donations. You still did not erase Chilul Hashem. You did not erase. You killed a million people, it's easier to make tshuva than one Chilul Hashem. You do tshuva, you stop killing, you really regret that you kill people, you are ashamed, you will not kill again. You're fasting on Yom Kippur, you have Isurim, you give a lot of tzedakah, you pray every day for forgiveness. You did tshuva, you bal tshuva. We're not even allowed to, rem to remind you that he used to be a hitman. We're not allowed. So this guy, Rissim, look how he learns Gemara. 
Two years ago he was a hitman, killing people for money. You're not allowed to say it, it's against the halacha. You're not allowed to remind him. You cannot come and say to him, hey, what do you now became a tzaddik? You forgot five years ago who you used to be? You're not allowed to say it. It's against the Torah. Ain't maskirim lebal tshuvat ma'asav harishonim. Same thing if a woman goes on a date, she's a ba'alat tshuva. That's she says 20, 21, 22. She goes on a date with a guy. It's also a ba'al tshuva. Or maybe it's from, from birth. And he agreed to go out with a ba'alat tshuva that they recommend her very highly. She's from a seminary. She's really serious, modest ba'alat tshuva. In them dates, after a few dates, when things become serious, the guy may ask her, by the way, I want to ask you a question if you, if you, don't, if you don't mind. I want to know your past. I want to make a decision if to get engaged to you. Before me, how many boyfriends you used to have? Let's say she had 20 different boyfriends. A secular girl. From age 16 until age 22, she made all the sins you can imagine. Is she obligated to tell him I had 20 boyfriends and I live with one for one year and the other one six months and I live by this guy and I live by that guy? Is she obligated to tell him? No. She can only say to him, let's say that before I became religious, I was not Sarah Imenu. I was not Sarah. Amevin Yavin. To lie, she's not allowed. To generate information about her sin, she has no obligation to. Now she's a new product. She's a ba'alat tshuva, like a brand new baby. So she doesn't have to go into details. You understand? So she said, obviously she cannot come and lie to him, I've never been with anyone. He will find out after the wedding. But she can say, let's say I was not Sarah Imenu. That's it. He said, no, no, I need to know details. I'm not giving you any details. I don't go and check all the sins you made in your life. You don't go and check my sins, the sins that I made in my life. Who is right? She's right. The Torah is to her side in, the, in a case like that. In a case like that. Many times people uh, write to me emails that they're about to confess to their date about a big sin they made one time. I say, who told you you're supposed to confess? Oh, you're already about tshuva for a few years. That's it, it's over. You made tshuva, it was deleted from your file already. Why not to ruin a shidduch? As it is, it's so difficult to get married today. Finally, you have the right girl or the right guy. Now all of a sudden, you decided to be extra righteous. Shlomo HaMelech said, Don't be more righteous than what Hashem told you to be. Meaning, off, don't get me wrong. Some things you must say. They ask you, have you ever been with someone or nobody ever touched you? You cannot lie, he's going to find out. It's mekach ta'ut. But you don't have to generate information. You have to know the rules about it. In Shiduchim, what you're supposed to say. If you have a sickness, sickness, you cannot hide it. You're not allowed. You have to say the sickness. If you cannot have children, you must say. If you marry me, you will never have children. You cannot lie. Ah, he's going to break the shidduch. Break the shidduch. But it's not, 
You can't deceive a person and ruin his life to save you. You don't save your life with the life of someone else. You're not allowed to kill a Jew, take his heart out of his, his chest, and plant it in your heart instead of yours in order for you to survive. That's not, that's not what the Torah allowed. However, some sicknesses are not so relevant. Not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. It's not contagious. Doesn't affect your life. Nobody, he won't get it from you. Not everything you have to say. Remember, there's one thing to lie, and there's one thing not to generate extra information. Not to generate extra information. You're going to start saying the sins that you made when you were 13, 14 years old? A foolish kid? You understand, Rabotai? Get the point. So let's move on. So this Bilam, after all the attempt, he gave the worst advice we could have got. The worst. What was it? He said to Balak, you have a lot of pretty goyot. Hashem sealed my mouth. Believe me, I want your money. Why do you think I came all the way here? I begged Hashem, let me go. He said, don't speak unless I permit you to speak. In the end, I came to curse. Truly. And he turned it into a blessing. What do you want? I warned you. I told you I cannot speak against Hashem. I don't want to die. However, I owe you. You're right. You have a point. You paid me money. You brought me all the way here. I made you sacrifice 42 sacrifices. And in the end, I went against you. But you have to understand, it's nothing personal. I came to be your servant. But what can I do if God tells me not to do it? You will go against God? I can't do it. But let me give you a great advice. There is one thing about the God of these Jews. The one thing he hates the most. What is it? Lack of modesty. Lack of modesty. He hated it. You want him to be angry at his children? Make them do as many sins as possible in this field. Lack of modesty with the girls, with the goyot there. The more they do, the more you're going to win. Because when he will punish them, you benefit. How should I do it? He said. They love silk. Silk, linen, expensive material. These Jews are fancy people. They always been and will always be. They don't want to live in bad neighborhoods. They don't want to live in the small places. They don't want to drive a lousy car. They don't want to ride on a donkey. If they can ride on a nice horse, they won't agree. They won't just wear something. They have expensive taste. Nothing changed. They love luxury. What do you mean? They just came out of Mitzrayim. They were like dogs over there. Slaves. They beat them up. Hit them with a whip. Well, very fast they forgot. They remember the time before. In Egypt, how they were all wealthy. In the time of Joseph. Gave them plenty of money. They lived in Goshen. They occupied Egypt, they owned businesses and buildings. 
Why the Holocaust in Egypt started? People don't pay attention. If people pay attention to every word of the Torah, you don't even need a lecture. You see everything in front of your eyes. The Torah said, when the Jews were isolated in their ghettos, in that case it was Goshen, today it could be Muncie or Williamsburg or Borough Park or, or Lakewood or, or Bechemesh or Jerusalem or Bnei Brak. As long as the Jews are isolated together with themselves, not mixing with the rest of the world, nobody can touch them. But once the Jews move to Manhattan, to all the areas, to San Francisco, to Las Vegas, to every other possible place that you can think of, Tel Aviv all of a sudden, Miami all of a sudden, what happened? The problems begin. The Torah say, Egypt is full of the Jews everywhere. Few years ago, they're all in Goshen. Remember, there was no communication, no television, no CNN liberal lefty traders that come and highlight the Jews in the eyes of the public. None of these things. No radio, no internet, no telephone, no smartphone, no newspapers, no nothing. When the Jews are isolated, the Egyptians don't know they exist. What do I care? There are Jews somewhere. They're not in front of me. I'm good. Now they moved into my building and they buy the penthouse and I go down to the parking lot and the most expensive car is this guy. As it is, I hate him. And now he became to become my landlord. Drives them crazy. Then you go to the court. Who's the judge? Mr. Cohen. Who is the lawyer, the prosecutor? Mr. Levy. What's going on here? They go crazy. Next thing, you hear about the synagogue that was burned. That's the order of the things. If they see you, they go crazy. Make sure they don't see you. Don't highlight yourself. Not like today, everybody try to be on the top of the pyramid. So what? Once the Jews filled up Egypt, the problems began. The Egyptians went crazy. Soon they're going to make a revolution here. What's going on over here? What did they do? Anti-immigration president. Yosef. A new king came. Hussein Obama were kicked. Trump came up. No more Arabs are allowed to America. Court, no court, liberal judges. He's going full force with his agenda. Someone that came in told me they came on a flight from Europe. All the Arabs were taken to investigation. All of them on a plane. You go there, next one go there, woman like this, go over there. Many of them, they don't let them in. They send them back. They go back to their country. Don't go to America, it doesn't pay. Just pay $1,500 a ticket from France to here. I, got, I came here, they kept me four hours in a room, send me back. Next one saying it, the next one, they go to the mosque. Ladies and gentlemen, please, if you have plans to go to America, don't waste your time. The rumors is all, all over with the social media. 
They're not coming here anymore. United States, maybe we'll get saved eventually. If not, what happened in Europe will happen here. Another five, ten years, that's it. That's what's going to happen. Now remember, Muslims are not just visitors. Every country they come to and settle, first thing in their mind is to occupy the place and force everyone to become Muslim. And if not, we must kill them. That's their agenda. That's their ideology. It's not like Jews. Jews came to China. They have their corner. I was in, in China, in Guangzhou. Synagogue for the Jews. That's it. Nobody here from them. That's why the Chinese government, which is very anti-religion, left the Jews alone. They know they have a synagogue. They even came to check the place once. They saw, they mind their own business. They're not running after Chinese air. Mr. Lee, come here, Bruce Lee. I want to make you a rabbi. No, we're not missionaries. We want to be Jewish where we are. You do whatever you want. It's not our business. They left us alone. Muslims in China, there is an award. Everyone will tell the authorities about a religious gathering. We'll get a huge prize. What do you think happened? One billion Chinese walking around hoping to find some Muslims praying. That right away they can call the government. And immediately the government come, arrest all of them, throw up the place. That's what's happened. They don't want Islam to press their legs over there and start growing like cancer in their countries. And those who are Chinese Muslims, believe it or not, there is such thing, two million of them, they put them in camps. Re-education. I don't want to tell you what they make them scream over there. They take away their children. In China, there's no human rights. There's no such thing, a liberal judge. That you come to the judge, they took my kid away. Why? Because I'm an illim illegal immigrant. Gewalt! Return the kid immediately to Jose from Mexico. You heard what happened two weeks ago? They caught a gang in California. They were slaughtering people and taking their heart out of their chest. Spanish criminals who smuggled into this country. The liberal media is high covering it. Why? Because Trump is right. They don't want to show that he's right. That many of these immigrants are big criminals and drug dealers. They were killing people in ways that no one in the history of United States saw such cruelty. When I was in Mexico, I drove with my host in the street. I told him there's a lot of stories about the cartel. Do you guys feel it over here? In Mexico City. He said, no, usually it's in other places. But I can tell you one thing. One morning I was taking my son to yeshiva. Seven in the morning. I come to the light. I saw somebody hung. They hung someone on the light. In the middle of the intersection. With a rope. Someone is hanged. In the middle of the intersection in Mexico City by the Jewish area. Hung him on a light in the middle of the night. This is what's happening in these countries. You want to bring this culture into here? Isn't it enough? We have enough crazy people over here. Millions of pedophiles. Serial killers. A huge number of serial killers. Cannibals. 
people that eat people. You have no idea how many psychos you have here. I once spoke to a rabbi who was a rabbi in one of the worst gens in America. He told me the things that happens in that jail, what kind of criminals are there, include one Jew over there, described to me the crimes they committed. You cannot believe that a human being is capable of doing such thing. Murdering someone, cutting him to pieces and eating him? You, you, you ever saw such thing? Person is capable of doing such thing? Can you make someone like this a bad tshuva? You become his lunch. You can't prove to him the Torah is from Hashem. <laughs> Two hours later, you're on his plate. Crazy. How can you take that risk? Will you take that risk? So, Balak, so he gave him, Bilam gave him a, an advice that was very good for him, for him as the aider of Israel. Put your pretty girls to sell some fancy silk, linen, pishtan. Don't worry. When they come to buy, you put a pretty girl inside, inside the tent with more expensive stuff. And when they come and say, don't you have any more? Yeah, of course, the good stuff is inside. And they go inside, fancy. But there's also a very pretty Goya, like in Uman. You know in Uman? Tell your story. I have a friend, Baruch Hashem, I met him Baal when he was 38 years old. He was a businessman, he owned a big company of women gowns. He was in America, Manhattan, Hong Kong. Fancy guy. And uh, Baruch Hashem became religious, age 41, after he was religious for three years, he moved to Manzi, out of Manhattan. Got rid of the business, because it was all day models walking around. I said to him, for money, you're going to sell your soul to the devil? Just get rid of this business. How can you be in a business with all these non-modest goyot around you all day and all night? Got rid of the business, came to yeshiva, age 41. So, you know, the story with this guy, it's very funny because he once told me a story. He said, at one point he started to, go, to walk with a black hat. After three years he was in yeshiva. So he, st he was still in the business. So he used to come to the business with a black hat. He is one of the owners. So he said, this guy had a very serious temper. temper. If one of the girls were mess messed up in her work, he used to go crazy and scream, but then after a while he realized, how can I scream when I have this black hat on my head? So he used to take the black hat off and run after the girl to attack her. So he told me, you know what happened to me the other day? When I took my hat out and I got up from my chair, all the goyot ran and locked their doors. They already know I'm coming to destroy one of them. Then I realized what a wolf I am. How can I not even control my anger? Soon as I took my hat off, all of them ran and hide. C completely. They went inside and disappeared. 
So he told me, I want to go to Uman. Rosh Hashanah, Uman, you know, massive brainwash. I say, you know what? Go to Uman. That's what you want, fine. When he came back from Uman, he brought me a fair hat. You know those fair hats that you put around the head and you put it on the ears? Your, your, your head is cooking. 20 below zero, you're sweating. That's how hot it is. Unbelievable hot. Back then, this is 20 years ago, it used to cost $350. Today I think it's almost $1,000 such a hat. All real fair. Nice. Back then it was $350. I told him how much I have to pay you for that. He told me, come on, it cost me seven bucks. Seven dollars in Uman, in Ukraine. But it also almost cost me my Olam Abba. It almost cost me my Olam Abba. Three years on Baal Tshuva, I did not lay my finger on a woman. Fight with my Yetzirah every day, come to Yeshiva, learn, cry to Hashem for Shiduch. They told me, you can buy these hats over there. I went there, Russian Goya, look like a movie star. You had to see what she did. All kinds of attempts to grab me inside to make a scene with her. In my situation, after, three, after being a, a secular guy who makes the worst scene you can imagine in Manhattan in my days, very nice looking person also, and rich, and was famous, and live in Manhattan. Big Nisayon, big Yetzirah. And now after three years, he's about to lose everything in one shot. This is exactly what they did. Come inside. It's great merchandise. Now when he's already lost his control, she takes the Avodazara. What's the name of this Avodazara? Baal Peor. The worst Avodazara you can imagine. You cannot believe that a human being is able to worship an idol in such a dis disgusting way. You know what's the Avodazara of Baal, Baal Peor? Before I tell you the Avodazara of Baal Peor, let me first read to you how the parasha of the last week, how it finished. Let me read it to you. So, וישב ישראל בשיטים, פלייס כל שיטים, ויחל העם לזנות אל בנות מואב. The nation is starting to go make scenes with the goyot of Moab. Who gave this advice? בלעם, put them אוקיי? ותקראנה לעם לזבחי אלוהם, the goyot told the Jew, you want to be with me? In one condition. First, you have to show me you're loyal to my God, to my Avodah Zarah. If you do it for me, I'm all yours. That's how, that's how it happened. They started to bow down to their idols, just to be able to make a scene with her. The nation of Israel became attached like a magnet to this Avodah Zarah of Baal Peor. 
ויחר אף השם בישראל, השם was fuming, fuming. And what happened after that? He sent an epidemic. People started to die. How many people died? 24,000 people. More than all the Israeli soldiers that died in a war with the Arabs in 70 years. We still did not get to 24,000, Baruch Hashem. 23,200 and change. In 70 years of massive war with the Arabs in Israel, on the land of Israel, plus terrorist victims, terrorist attack victims. All together, less than 24,000. Just because of this, within a few weeks, 24,000 people are dead. Now the question is, how is it possible that people that heard the voice of Hashem will become so shortly after so stupid to go and worship the worst Avodah Zarah. Why the worst? Do you know how you worship this idol? You have to take off your pants, Mechila Mikvotchem, and make your bathroom on that idol. This is the Avodah Zarah. Men and women, they used to go inside, there is the idol inside, they do their bathroom on it and go out. I wonder how the next person was able to walk. Who would want such a thing? That's the Avodah Zarah. Look what a guy is willing to do to be able to make a scene with this pretty Goya. Willing, willing to go inside. Does he believe in Baal Peor? Of course not. But he forgot Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. They saw the miracles. They heard the voice of God. They saw all the miracles in the Midbar. Man is falling every day next to his tent. No surprises over here. And what happened? For 10 minutes of pleasure, they're willing to go through such humility. And what was the end of it? 24,000 people died. This is the advice of Bil'am. And it worked perfectly for those anti-Semite people. They got what they wanted. Without a war. Spiritual war made a much bigger damage than a physical war. Now, one more thing happened. We have an important rabbi. What's his name? Zimri ben Salu, the head of the tribe of Shimon, chief rabbi. Chief rabbi of the university. What happened? Found the Goya. As all the other people begin to go, he brings a Goya. He didn't go to her like all the other people. He brought her into his home. That's one step worse than before. In front of everyone, all his people around his tent, the righteous people, the righteous people who are still alive, they see that he comes inside his house with a Goya, to make a scene with no shame. Today, people have no shame. It became a way of life. Intermarried, it's 70% already. Nobody's embarrassed. 
50 years ago, if a person wanted to marry a non-Jew, will he ever dare to print a wedding invitation? Of course not. He would do everything he can to hide the identity of his woman. That she's, oh, she's Jewish, her mother was Jewish. Make up some kind of a story. No one would dare to say I marry a Goya. No one, even the secular people. You don't believe me? David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, was religious or anti-religion? Was a communist. Communism is fans of the Torah or enemies of the Torah? Enemies of the Torah. His son came to New York, lived in New York as a manager of Plaza Hotel in Manhattan, where the horses are. 50 years ago or more. He met Christine over there. She worked in a hotel. Got married in America. Had a daughter. And moved back to Israel. Son of David Ben-Gurion. He comes back. He lived in Israel. Now he comes to register his daughter in Israeli Misrad Apnim, in the office to give her a pass, to give her an Israeli ID and passport. In her ID, Teudat Zeut, they, they used to have religion. Religion, Muslim. Religion, Christian. Religion, Jews. Religion, Cherkessi. Religion, Druzi. They have religions. Many religions live in Israel. Baha'i, you have all kinds of people. Hindus, Buddhists. So they wrote in the, because it's the granddaughter of the prime minister, and he's a very powerful man, they don't want to mess with him. So in a religion, instead of writing Christian, Goya, they wrote unknown. Religion, unknown. Some people, you don't know the religion. Adopted kids in orphanage homes. Nobody knows. Someone left them there. Unknown. One day, somehow the idea of this girl came to the hand of David Ben-Gurion. He looked at her ID. Religion, unknown? What is this? You know, my wife is not Jewish. It makes her not Jewish, the boy explained. They will decide that the granddaughter of the Prime Minister of Israel is not Jewish? I'm going to teach them a lesson. Came to the Knesset. And no law. Let's define in the Israeli government who is a Jew. <laughs> you fool. 3,300 years the Torah already spoke who is a Jew. You want to redefine the religion now? You understand politicians, how dirty they are? 3,000 years all over the world, everyone knows who's a Jew. Your mother is Jewish, you're Jewish. That's the end of the story. But now he got insulted. Wow, my granddaughter's not going to be Jewish. What do you care? You're not religious anyway. You don't care about Judaism. What do you so Why it's so important to you to be a Jew? By the way, some of the most secular people in Israel, if you tell them you're not a Jew, they'll kill you. This is an absurd. This is, I don't understand where it comes from. 
they do everything they can never to be or to look like a Jew. They hate religion, they fight religion, everything they do on purpose against. They don't want to hear one minute of Torah. If they walk into a shul for bar mitzvah of someone, they refuse to put kippah on. These kind of people. And you ask, you tell them, well, anyway, you're not a Jew, it doesn't matter. I'm not a Jew? Who are you to tell me I'm not a Jew? So then you say to them, excuse me, define what does it mean to be a Jew? What makes you a Jew? I live in Israel. Two and a half million Arabs live in Israel. Doesn't make them Jewish. I served in the army. 100,000 soldiers are not Jewish. Druzim, Bedouin, Russians, many of them are not Jews. But they're in the Israeli army. Doesn't make them Jewish. What makes you Jewish? He has no idea. One member of the Knesset one time got up and screamed, I'm willing to swear on my life, you have no idea what he's saying. I am a Jew in my 248 organs and 365 ligaments. But he has no idea what he's saying. If I would be there, if I was there, I would get up and say, excuse me, sir, you just say something very interesting. Can you explain what you just say? It would be the joke of the history. He wouldn't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't even know what it means, 248. He heard that expression, so he's saying it. He doesn't know that the Torah is divided to 248 mitzvot aseh, 365 restriction, and that's how the neshama is inside the body, and there are... Every mitzvah connects to an organ or a ligament. He has no idea. Just shooting. So Ben Gurion made a law. What was the outcome of that law until today? For more than 50 years, this is an unresolved issue in Israeli government. Every time they try to vote, they come to a dead end. They're the secular people, they don't know how to define what makes you a Jew. If you live in Israel and we say everyone who lives in Israel is Jewish, then all the Arab, two and a half million Arabs, many of them are enemies of Israel and terrorists, they would want to bring all the relatives because there is a rule that every Jew can bring his relative into Israel. So what's going to happen? They're going to bring you another 20 million Arabs, that's the end of Israel. So it cannot be. How are we going to define who is a Jew? They got stuck. Until today, they don't know in Israel, in the government, who is a Jew. Of course it's a joke. We don't need these genius people to tell us who is a Jew. The Torah already told us. By the way, I say to someone, I want to open up a VIP. Special VIP. What's the condition to this VIP? You have to own a specific motorcycle. You have to wear only this kind of jacket, only this kind of boots. You must have a mustache, you know one of these mustaches that goes all the way from here to Queens. <laughs> and you have to have a mohawk, and you have to have earring over here, and you have to do this, and you have to make a special tattoo here, and a special tattoo there. Those are the conditions to be accepted to my VIP club. 
Here is the condition, the application. You want to come in, pay a hundred bucks application fee, check all the condition, sign the personal guarantee, fulfill your obligation, and we'll let you in the club. That's my right, no? I paid for the place. I opened it up. Those are my condition. You want to come with me with a nice suit and a, and, a, and a tie? Go somewhere else. You don't come into my club. Why? It's not fair. You're racist. What does it have to do with racist? I opened up a club. I want everyone to behave in this manner. I don't want people with suits and I don't want people with shorts. And I don't want people with cars. Only with this bicycle and my motorcycle and all this. Now imagine someone now is fighting me about the rules that I made for my own club. I want to modify the rules. Who are you exactly? I'm the boss. I made the rules. This is my place. You want in? Those are the conditions. No, he comes to teach me now what I have to do. You have to do this and you cannot do this. I object to this. Make sense or no? Make sense? Someone can come and, and tell the boss what to do, what not to do? No. You can say, I'm willing to accept your conditions and to become a member in your club. Okay. I'm not willing. Go home. Fair or not? In America, you have something very interesting. Every immigrant who comes here, already is not good for him. America, not good for me. I don't like this, I don't like the president, let's impeach the president. <laughs> what is this nonsense? You came from countries that they treated you like a dog over there. There was no human rights, no democracy, no nothing. You came here, you live here, you have a lot of immigrants who came here, most of them illegally. And now they want to redefine America after 300 years of history. This is what's happening right now. Same thing happens against the Torah for many, many years. The secular people who decided to ignore the Torah and decided to do the opposite of the Torah, now they went one step ahead. What do they do? They want to rewrite the Torah. It's allowed to be gay. It's allowed to marry Goim. It's allowed to eat whatever you want. It's allowed to be Mechalel Shabbat. It's no problem. They want to rewrite the Torah. What? I don't get it. This is the Torah. I'm not a part of it. I do whatever I want. It's nothing. I don't want to be one of you. But I'm not going to dictate to you how to be. Yes. No, no, of course, everybody has to do the best he can. No one is perfect. There's not one person who did everything. Even Moshe Rabbeinu made few mistakes. So everyone should always try to improve and to do more and more and more. However, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who want to rewrite the Torah, meaning to modify the Torah. In case you didn't understand me, I'm talking about the Reform people, the conservative people, and the secular people. They're all in with the same agenda. To destroy the book by the way the book is. By the way, who helped them the most? Who helped them the most from among us? Who? The liberal Jewish 
rabbis, not judges. Judges, we don't expect anything from them. They're all Erev Rav lefties. We're talking university rabbis. Rabbis, rabbis that are liberal. They have liberal ideology. No problem with gays. It's no problem. No problem with the conversion. Everyone can convert even if he doesn't accept mitzvot. Everything by them, no problem. No problem. Someone asked me a question. They said that she knows someone that has a business that sells non-modest clothing to women. As a result, you know, they have to make catalogs and they bring models and the models are not dressed as Machtiya Rabim. Very serious. They have a website, there's non-modest pictures over there. Many women buy the non-modest clothes and the results of their business. So she started to tell me that she was arguing with that person and he let her speak to one of these university rabbis. And she was telling me the answers he was giving her. Such a manipulator. Basically, he allowed everything. He allowed to sell to Jews whatever you want. He allowed this, you allowed... Everything is allowed. Why? Because the owner of the business sends him a monthly check. That's it. Send him a monthly check. Yes. There are 36 Averot in the Torah that the punishment for them is that the soul is going to be cut from the afterlife for eternity. Cannot be a worse punishment than that. Chilul Hashem is the worst sin in the Torah, by far. It's a category, it's a category by itself, Chilul Hashem. Yes. Because, as I explained before, the tshuva will help in the day of, in the, day of the death. Until then, the, the, the sin is pending in the file of a person. The day that he died, if he made a perfect tshuva, that's when Hashem will erase it from his file. Until then, he cannot make his file clean. He can't. However, I'll give you some of the sins that are the worst in the Torah. One... Chilul Shabbat. Two, eating in Yom Kippur. Three, eating chametz in Pesach. Whiskey, beer, spaghetti, bread, five kinds of grains. Four, eating chelev. Chelev is a part of the animal, also is sukkaret. Five, entering Kodesh HaKodashim, when you're impure, you're not a Kohen, you're not supposed to enter there, you're not, you're not allowed, you enter there, it's also a Karet. Six, idol worshipping, being a Christian, Jews for JC, all kinds of Buddhists, Hinduists, all these Avodah Zarah that they have. Another scene that is horrible, that is also as a Karet, Lots of the sex crimes. For instance, a husband that lives with his wife without mikveh. Both of them be cut. Or forbidden relationship among the family. With his mother, with his sister, all these things. 
It's also very, very serious. Besides the death penalty. Another one, married woman. Relationship with a married woman. Horrible. It's two sins and both of them are karet. It's double karet. One is the actual married mo mo ma woman, which is also death penalty. And the second one is she also nida. She didn't go to the mikveh. So it's a double karet here. And there are, there are a few other sins that they, all together it falls to the, to the 36 war sins of the Torah. Murder is not one of them, by the way. There's no isur karet on murder. It's death penalty. But there's no cut for the soul. That's why I scream for years that to be mechalel Shabbat is much worse than to be a murderer. Because when you are a murderer, if there was Sanhedrin, they'll execute you. But if you did tshuva, you still have olam haba. But if you are an idol worshiper or a mechalel Shabbat, that's Isur Karet. Karet for the soul. You understand? So, yes, there is a list. You can see in the Rambam, 36 Isur Karet. By the way, when we do tshuva for Isur Karet, by the way, one second, when we do tshuva for Isur Karet, it's not enough just to stop, to regret, to be ashamed, to make confessions every day when we pray, to have Yom Kippur passed, that's not enough. We still have to receive suffering. We must receive suffering for the Yisurei Karet. If we don't get Yisurim, it's still not erased. And there's only one sin that even suffering doesn't erase. It's Chilul Hashem. That's it. Chilul Hashem it's the last thing you ever want to do. That's why, by the way, Chilul Hashem, it's also things that, are, that look very minor. I'll give you an example. You blow your nose loudly in the middle of the shul. I see many religious people doing it. They come to the synagogue, they take the tissue, like an elephant, in the middle. Everyone is davening Shmona Isre, he's standing in the middle of the shul, like this, for an hour. Go to the bathroom, clean your nose. And on top of it, Mosif Chet Al Pesha, on top of it, after he got everything from his nose, puts it on the table for two hours, next to the Chumash, next to the person that sits next to him. How many people doing it? Plenty. He comes to your house to be a guest. He blow up his nose and put the tissue on the table next to all the food. On the left side is the hummus, on the right side the matbucha, and in between his boogies. <laughs> How many times it happened? You come to someone's house as a guest. You stay there for a night or two. You leave, the room is a mess. The blanket is on the floor, the sheets is everywhere, the pillow on the floor. Bathroom, things on the floor. Chilul Hashem. The woman of the house, she comes the next morning to the room. Oh my God, what happened here? You have to set up the sheets, fix the blanket, fix the pillows, fold the towels, hang everything in its place, all the garbage put in one bag or inside the garbage. Make sure you leave the room the same way you got it. They gave you some bottles of water, you finish, don't throw it on the floor. Don't make, make sure she doesn't find it on the floor. Some people are very pedantic. 
Some women, they go crazy if the towel is not in the right place. A year later, if the husband will want to invite the same guest, she's going to say, no, no, oh, 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 no, 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 not this guest. Why? The towel was crooked when he left. Yes, there are women like this, believe it or not. They're very makpid. You don't want to give a reason to anyone to speak about you, no matter where you are. You must do Kiddush Hashem, Kiddush Hashem, all the time. You go in the bank, you come out, you see some Goya, Goya coming. Keep the door open, even if it takes 20 seconds until they arrive. It's a very big thing. They're going to be very impressed. They're going to say to people, look at these nice Jews, how they are. Don't cheat on the line. Don't scream. If you have a problem with the teller, don't be, raise your voice. Don't bang on the table. You go to a restaurant, treat the waiter like he's a god. Don't treat him like garbage. Don't raise your voice on him. If he gave you the wrong soup, or the steak is not the way he asked, or he gave you the wrong french fries, never raise your voice, never scream, never make a scene. Never. Jew has to live in a divine way. He has no permission to be a low life. What the goyim are allowed to do, the Jew is not allowed to do. The goyim want to scream, it's his business. We don't have permission to scream. When you say a word, you must keep your word. Tomorrow by two, you're going to get your check. It must be tomorrow by two. Must be. Cannot be 2.30. Cannot be. You must at Mozart's Fatecha Tishmor. That's why I make sure not to promise if you know there's not 100% chance to keep it. And if you were late, you have to apologize. You have to explain. Stay away from lies. You can never be violent. Some religious people, they see a naked woman on a bus. So what do they do? They have two options. One is to close their eyes and walk and not to look at her. What is the other option? To spit at her. Some of them come, hey, shame on you, animal. Yeah, she behaves like an animal, it's true. Animals don't get dressed. People must get dressed. But who gave you permission to spit at her? The damage that you just did with this Chilul Hashem is worse than any Musar you gave her. What's the comparison here? What do you think is going to happen now? Everyone, and today, especially with a cell phone that everyone films, you go to the mikveh. Hasidish people, they makpid most of them to go every day to the mikveh. The mikveh is their second home. Sometimes you see one hour before the davening is in the mikveh preparing for the davening. Some people are not makpid to take a shower before they go into the water. That's Chilul Hashem. It makes a lot of people get disgusted from getting into the water. He comes with all his sweat in hot days like now, 100 degrees, going into the water, smells, full of sweat, all his hair on, he doesn't take a shower a minute or two before, clean his sweat, clean his head, and go into the water. If everyone comes with the dirt into the water, after three, four hours, it would look like a chicken soup. <laughs> it's a very big Chilul Hashem. Very big Chilul Hashem. Now we are in a three weeks Ben HaMetzarim. Ben HaMetzarim. Some of the Ashkenazim have a custom not to take a shower for three weeks. That's a very, very horrible and foolish custom. Horrible. Some nine days, some three weeks. Rav Ovadia Yosef Zatzal used to scream very much against it. It's nothing to do with Sfaradim Ashkenazim. I'm just making a point here. 
It's a horrible minag. Why? You gain a penny and you lose a million dollars every day. This is it. Why? Everyone walks around you for three weeks in such a weather, and in Israel now it's 50 degrees Celsius. 115 degrees with 80, 90% humidity. And many of the religious people, they have a lot of clothing on them, so they sweat extra, and with the hat, and everything. Now, they don't take a shower for one week, or two weeks, or three weeks. The smell that comes out of them is beyond any tolerance. People sit on the bus, people take buses, people sit in a cab. And the secular people, many of them, as it is, hate us very much. They are doing everything they can to find any reason not to become religious. We have no permission to give them even one reason to go one step further away from the Torah and from the, um, from the laws of Hashem. And remember, Chilul Hashem is the worst sin of the Torah, worse than a murder. Now, let me ask you a question. If somebody asks you, you have two options now, to take a shower and this baby will live, or not to take a shower and he will die. What do you have to do? Now, today, in the middle of Pena Metzarim, your custom is not to take a shower. Someone comes to you, a guy with a gun. Take a shower, I let this kid live. You don't want to take a shower today, I kill him. What are you supposed to do? You must take a shower. Mitzvah to take a shower. What's the question? Even on Shabbat. Kalva Homer on Ben Amitzarim, yeah? So, remember, if you sit in air condition all day, you don't come out, your shul is right next door, all three weeks, no problem. Don't take a shower, no problem. Why? There's no Chilul Hashem. But if you walk in the street of Bnei Brak, 90% humidity, and then you, one day and another day and another day, you don't understand. Some people are very sensitive. You walk into the bank, everybody there looks at you and think, look at the religious people, how stink they are. But they don't understand. There's Bet HaMikdash, the customs. Rav Yashif say, Chilul Hashem, is not depend on true or false. It's depend on what the people understand. I gave you once the example that one person asked Rav Eliashiv, what is worse? I'm a bald shuva and I cannot find a job and all I know is to drive a truck. They're offering me two jobs. To drive secular newspapers to the stores to be delivery truck or to drive pork to the Russian stores that in every city they filled up Israel with pork store. Which one is worse? Rav Eliashiv say, although to buy a, a secular newspaper is a much bigger sin than to eat pork, much, much bigger sin, it's all the sins of the Torah in front of your eyes, but the secular people in Israel do not understand that. Every secular person in Israel almost understands that to eat pork, you have to be a real rasha. Even the Mechalalei Shabbat understand that. Most people in Israel don't dare to eat pork. They eat everything else. Chazir, they don't touch. So if they see a person with a beard and a kippah driving a truck with a picture of a pig, or if they see him driving a a car with the logo of the secular newspaper. 
when they see the newspaper truck, nobody thinks that he does something wrong. He's driving a truck and delivering newspapers. But if he delivers pork, everyone will spit at him. Get out of here, you faker. You're religious. You're worse than a goy. Why? Because in their mind, this guy's a faker. He's delivering pork. Because they understand pork is bad. So Rav Eliashiv told him, better you drive newspapers than you drive the pork. Even though newspapers a million times worse than pork. Pork is one sin. Newspaper is million sins. Reading the Lashon Ara and the Avodah Zara and the Choser Tzniyut and the Rechilut and the Sinat Chinam and all the other things. It's terrible. You understand? So you see, Chilul Hashem is by, is going by what the people around you understand. And if you walk in front of secular people, or goyim, some secular people understand. But the goyim, for sure, don't understand. So now if you're sitting in a business meeting with a goy and his partners, and he smells you like this, now for the rest of his life, he hates Jews. Why? Because they are not clean people, and they sweat, and they smell bad, and that's the end of it. The Indians, the Hindus, I don't know all of them because they are divided to many groups, but I know some of them has a custom to take a shower one day a year. That's it. All year they're not allowed to take a shower. One day, one day a year they go to some lake in India, all of them take off their clothes, they go inside that lake, supposedly some worship to the god, to their idol. And all here they're not allowed to clean the body. Why? They, they hold that the body is holy. They have all kinds of stupid ideas that they made up. This is the religion. Now, I don't have to tell you that some of them are taxi drivers in Manhattan. I don't know if it happened to you, but when I lived in Manhattan, when I was uh, 22, 23, how I found out what I just told you? I went to a cab with one of them. And as I was sitting 15 minutes in a, I was supposed to sit half an hour in a cab, I just could not breathe anymore. And one, at one point I told him, just stop here, I have to go somewhere else, how much I owe you, and I went out of the cab. Now imagine if this is a Jew that smells like this and he's, he's driving a Uber or something. And the Goim gets inside and they smell him the entire ride. Do you know what a disaster just happened now in the world? It's the biggest Chilul Hashem, the biggest. Huh? One million percent. One million percent. You must use deodorant. Listen carefully. You must take a shower. The Gemara says Hillel Azaken in the middle of the day. He was in yeshiva. He started to run. His student followed him. Now remember, this was in a generation that nobody had showers in their home pressing a button. You had to bring pieces of wood, put the fire on, go bring water from the lake, put the water in a, in a bat. It was a two hours job to fill up a bat. It wasn't a, you press a button and you have a faucet. It was very difficult to take a bat. The student follow him. Rabbi, where are you going? I'm running to do a very important mitzvah. Middle of the day. Everybody follow him. They want to learn what mitzvah the rabbi is doing. He left the yeshiva in the middle of learning and run 
to do a mitzvah. What did they think? Maybe he has to release a prisoner from the end of the goyim. Maybe there's pikuach nefesh. Maybe there's shlom bayit between husband and wife who wants to get divorced. When they saw, he goes to his house, put the bat together, and took a shower. I told him, that's the mitzvah? Say yes. Mitzvah, you must be clean. It's mitzvah. Nekiyut. You're touching now a different subject. You have to know one thing. All of us, almost all of us, are doing things that thanks to them we have a share to the world to come. And at the same time we are doing things that thanks to them we lose our share to the world to come. The Gemara is a list. What brings you to Olam Abba? And what prevents you from going to Olam Abba? What happens if you do 50-50? You do a lot of good things that brings you to Olam Abba. And at the same time, you do, you're doing things that the Gemara says, You insult a Jew in public. You disrespected your rabbi. All kinds of things. Proud people. All kinds of people. All kinds of things. So the answer is, Rabotai, only Hashem knows to put on a scale all the things that you did that are positive and the contradictions that are negative. And after all of that, to come up with a verdict. Of course, if once in a while you sweat and people smell you and you did Chilul Hashem, obviously you don't lose your Olam Abba because based on that, almost nobody in the world or in the history has Olam Abba. Almost nobody, right? And we know Moshe Rabbeinu had Olam Abba, we know, and Moshe Rabbeinu did Chilul Hashem. And because of that, he did not enter Israel. What was the Chilul Hashem he did? He spoke to the rock and everyone was laughing. And nothing came out. And then he hit the rock. And then he hit it again. And then tons of water came. But for the one minute that all the wicked people were laughing, for that Hashem told him, you did not have faith in me. You did not sanctify me. Because of that, you and your brother Aaron will not enter Israel. Everybody asked. Moshe made a mistake. He was supposed to talk. He hit. He had his calculation. He did it for the sake of heaven. In the end, Hashem did not accept his intentions. But why Aaron? Aaron didn't do anything. He didn't hit the stick. He didn't take the stick. He was just standing there. The answer is, that's why Moshe hit the rock twice. Hashem could have brought water in the first time. There's no difference. It's already breaking the rules. I told you, speak to the rock. You hit the rock once, you fail. Why I had to make you hit the rock twice? Because... The first time, only a few drops came out. Because I wanted you to hit the rock again. Why? That's why I told you, take the stick with you in first place. Because after you hit the rock for the first time, Aaron was supposed to hold your hand and not let you hit the rock again. Why are you doing against what Hashem told you? Everyone who sees another Jew committing a sin in front of him, and he could have stopped it, and he ignored the sin, and he did not stop it, he'd count that he made that sin 100% like the other Jew. 100%. I think it's only 
it says for the water under the places. At the place, I don't remember the place, but it never says there for the heating the stone. Check on me. For heating the stone? No, it doesn't say that. We are, you have to remember one thing, the Torah is not one source, it's all the sources combined. You have Midrashim, you have Gemarot, it's well known in the world of the Yeshivot, everyone will tell you that. That the scene of Moshe Rabbeinu was the one minute Chilul Hashem. That he was supposed to speak to one rock and everybody told him speak to the other rock. Let's see that you're getting us water from here. What difference does it make for Hashem? If he can get us from here, he can give us from there. And Moshe was thinking, anyway, they're already telling me they're not impressed by the other rock. At least let me do Kiddush Hashem. I'll prove to them that it's Hashem. It's only opinion, Rabbi. You remember the Dalai Taka by Banel? whole book is about opinions of maybe 12 or 13 rabbis over different things. And some of them thinking your way... Ele ve'ele divrei Elohim chayim. Every one of the opinion is Torah min ha'shamayim. Nobody makes up assumption like you think. We are not in the university that every scientist brings an assumption and in the end they're going to try to figure it out what to do. Again, the Torah said to Moshe Rabbeinu clearly, because you did not believe in me, this was after hitting the rock, because you did not believe in me, not you and not your brother will come into Israel. He made other sins, obviously, Moshe, but none of them, Hashem decreed that because of those sins he will not enter Israel. When did it? Bring the Chumash, I'll show it to you. Bring. Rashi, Rashi, it's Midrashim. Better you have a baseball hat on standby for cases like this. But you're right. You're right. If you're running late for Shabbat and you have to cheat on the traffic, there's a huge line to the bridge, which you know right away will take 20 minutes. So you want to pass all the people and sneak in and save 20 minutes. Like this, you're not going to get stuck on the highway for Shabbat. You must take your keeper off. If you do it with the keeper on, you just failed in Chilul Hashem. Thank you. Um, Chilul Hashem could be like subjective, right? What some people consider Chilul Hashem is not Chilul Hashem to other people, right? Yes, that's what I said before. Yes. There is one more rule that you should know. By teaching the correct Torah, it's not relevant anymore what the people think. There's no Chilul Hashem can never come by teaching exactly what the Torah or the Halakha says. You understand? So if the Torah say that gay people have to be put to death by stoning and they have no share to the world to come. Their soul. It doesn't say True. 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 People who commit gay activity. You're right. Good. Good correction. Precise. 
You're right. I myself say many times that people that have gay feelings but do not act on their desire, they're actually righteous. Very good. So those are actually big heroes. That they have a desire to do the wrong thing and all their life they fight it not to go against Hashem. They are actually very, very serious tzaddikim, these people. Just like a Bachur Yeshiva that doesn't get married for whatever reason and he's already 30 and he's dying to already live with a woman and he doesn't find and he watch himself not to make sins. It's just the same thing. Both of them have very strong desire and they overcome their desire. So the Torah said that gay people that act on their desire has to be put to death by stoning and their soul will be cut from the afterlife. Now, in today's brainwash that the whole world tried to make the whole world gay, everyone for the cause to turn all of us to gays, massive brainwash and propaganda everywhere, even in cartoons. Of course, if I will stand and say what I just told you, 80% of the people in the world immediately will hate me and will hate the Torah. Now what is the rule? Because the majority of the world are wicked and corrupted. Very nice. I can accept your suggestion. After you kiss up to all the people who make that scenes and you tell them how wonderful they are, no, even though it's not allowed to do it. No. You just reminded me about someone. There is a clown, Rasha Gadol. His name is Shmuli Boteach, Shem Reshaim Yerkav. He lives in Englewood. Is one of the most wicked Jews on earth. Mamash, an enemy of the Torah. And what he does, he, he modifies the Torah all the time to suit his agenda. And what's his agenda? Is to be the hero of all the wicked people and the goyim. That's his agenda. He makes a book, Kosher Sex. He became the rabbi of the goyim. He became the rabbi of Michael Jackson, the pedophile, was his best friend. Michael Jackson was his best friend. You understand who I'm talking about? On the last gay parade, he went to the gay parade and took a lot of pictures with all the naked gays and put it in his page and told them how he loves them and supports them. Now, just a few days ago, I got a, another video from this clown. Look what a crook he is, how he fooled the people. Now, most people will fall into this trap because they did not learn enough Torah to know that he's a crook. So what he says? He says, of course, the Torah said that to be a homosexual and to act on it is abomination. But the Torah says on many things that they're abomination. And he gave a list of another four things that the Torah says that it's toeva. But this crook purposely, purposely, he the most important thing. The rest of the things that he mentioned, the Torah did not give that penalty for them. And the Torah did not say that your soul will be cut from the afterlife for eternity. These two important details, on purpose he hide. Why? To legitimize homosexuality and Saddam act against Hashem. That's his agenda. So he knows what the Torah says. 
But the most important key things, as usual, as he always does, he hide. And he say, so the homosexual that lives with his boyfriend, he does other things. He makes this sin. There are 612 other things the Torah say to do. So he should do the other one. He has one problem. And we have problem and he has problem. The Torah also says that this is abomination and this is abomination and this is abomination. You fool, you liar. The Torah didn't say just is abomination. The Torah said that Hashem is going to cut the soul of this gay from the afterlife for eternity. His soul is going to be cut. He will lose his eternity just because of these crimes. How do you come to hide such an important detail from the Torah? Yes. Yeah. It's very true that you did not come to my lectures and you obviously didn't listen to them in the last few months because I made a lecture about who should deserve to get a respect and who you're not allowed to respect. And when you have a people that they are... There's a list for that. And when you have people that modify the Torah or idol worshippers, for instance, mitzvah to make fun of them. If you give them respect, you are wicked. If you respect a wicked person that fights against Hashem, he wants to close the yeshivot, he wants to teach about homosexuality in yeshivot, to force the rabbis to teach the little children about it. He tried to close synagogues. He tried to make kosher meat illegal. All kinds of things like this. This is an enemy of Hashem. The Torah says if you do not hate him, that means you hate Hashem. You must hate one. You either hate Hashem or you hate his enemies. If you love the enemies of Hashem, that means you hate God. If you hate God, you love his enemies. No, but you see, you don't have the, prince, you don't have the basics of Judaism. You're assuming things when you have a lot of knowledge that is missing. I suggest to you as a brother to a sister, don't make comments anymore about Judaism because you don't have the alphabet, the basics. The Gemara explains, only someone who recognizes Hashem, follow him and keep mitzvot. Only him you're allowed to love. Someone who goes against Hashem, mechalel Shabbat, fights the Torah, um, uh, waving a flag of gays in the middle of Manhattan without a shirt and doing all the things and try to make it legal, there's no mitzvah to love them and there's mitzvah to hate them. That's the truth. If you have a doubt about it, please tomorrow morning buy the book Way of the Righteous. It's the most important Musar book in Jewish history. It was written over 800 years ago. Buy it, you have it English Hebrew. It's, I think, $30, $29 it costs, the English version. And read it carefully in English. And over there, at least five times I can remember, it says mitzvah to hate the wicked people. You're not allowed to give them the benefits of the doubt in what, they, what you know they already violate. You're not allowed to kiss up to them. Everyone who kisses up to these clowns, to these wicked people, 
is one of the four groups that will not see Mashiach when the Shekhinah comes. Four groups of wicked Jews do not accept Hashem when He comes. One of them is Kisa people, liberal, politically correct, people with yamaka, people with skirts, people with peot, people with nice beards, who run to the wicked people to compliment them. However, if you do it because you want to make him a Baal Tshuva, you have to find one good thing that he does and compliment him on the one good thing that he does. And from there, you rebuke him on everything else he does. Because it's very good to start with a compliment like this. He would like you, and then he's willing to accept your rebuke and criticism. However, listen carefully. The law is, the law of the Torah is, you are not allowed to compliment a wicked Jew even on a mitzvah that he did for the sake of heaven. Do you understand what I just say? If someone, sometimes people make a mitzvah because they want people to honor them. He wants to impress a girl on a date, so a poor person came and he gave him $20. A poor person came to the restaurant, everybody gave him a quarter or a dollar. He's sitting on a date with a girl. He wanted to impress the girl, so he pulled out $20, make sure she sees that it's $20, and he put it in the guy's cup. Why did he do it? Not because he wanted to do it for the sake of heaven, because, he, because it's mitzvah to help the poor. No! He only did it for the show-off. What he did was actually a sin. Mitzvah ba'avera. However, sometimes it's really for the sake of heaven. Let's say he's a merciful guy, and he did not want to impress the girl, and he actually gave the guy the money without the girl to know how much it was. He took out $20 from his pocket, folded it, and put it inside. Maybe she thought it's only $1. He did not want to brag. He actually wanted to help the poor person. And the girl anyway saw it. She saw that it was a 20. When you have a wicked person, even on something that he did perfectly for the sake of heaven, you're not allowed to compliment him in public. Read in Orchot Tzadikim. Asur leshabeach et arasha, even for the good things he did. You're not allowed. If you're together with him alone, and he helped your yeshiva, or the synagogue, or he got you out of prison, he paid the bill, you're allowed to say thank you to him, I appreciate it, thank you very much. Thanks to the mitzvah you did, Bezrat Hashem, you'll be a full tzaddik. You give him a blessing, no problem. But to compliment him in public, you will be punished for it. Now I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you the logic behind it, and it will be very easy for you from now on to understand. If someone rebel against your father, everything your father does, he criticizes. Everything your father achieves, he ruins. He spits at him, throws rocks at him, writes against him in the internet making him bad reputation, is very ungrateful to your father, and you run to hug that person, the person that spits at your father for 20 years, everything your father asks from that person, on purpose he does the opposite, and people now see that when you saw the enemy of your father, you ran to hug him and give him compliments. 
you're so great, you're such a fantastic person, you're so smart. What immediately the entire people around, what will be their conclusion? What will be their conclusion? A, that you yourself hate your father. B, that there's no problem to be such an arrogant, despicable human being. Look, after all, everyone loves him and people give him a hug. It's not so bad. So immediately, many people would learn that it's not so bad to be like the wicked person. Look, the rabbi is giving him compliments in public. Look, the rabbi is hugging him, even though he came to the synagogue with a car on Shabbat. He just walked into the shul with his cell phone in his hand in the middle of Shabbat in front of 500 people, the biggest Chilul Hashem, with disrespect. He doesn't care about anyone. Why? Because he writes a night check. And the rabbi ran, how are you, Moshe, welcome, come, please, make him a seat next to me. All these fakers show off, kiss up people. They destroy the Torah. They are the destroyer of the Torah. There was one Hasidish rabbi, one Mechalel Shabbat guy came and gave him a check for $100,000. Rabbi donation. The Hasid told him, you Shomer Shabbat? He said, no. He said, so I would rather not to take the check from you. So he said to him, don't worry, Rabbi, my business is not open on Shabbat. I know I'm not Shomer Shabbat, but the money is not made on Shabbat. The Rabbi say, for me it's worth it that you will become Shomer Shabbat more than this generous donation. Come, take back your check. When you become Shomer Shabbat, you can always come back to me. I'll be more than happy to take it. For me, it's worth it that you're going to be Shomer Shabbat and then give me the check, not now. You know why I'm not taking the check from you? I believe you that you didn't make this money on Shabbat. I believe you it's kosher money. But I don't want to murder your soul for eternity. The Hasid told him. You know if I will take the check from you, you know what would happen to you? you will feel great relief in your conscience from all the sins you're making. After all, why a secular guy like you would come to a Hasidish Rebbe like me, which we are the two total opposite, and give me such a donation of $100,000? Why would you do that? Because you're suffering in your conscience from all the sins you do, and you want to relax your conscience by giving a huge donation. If I will take that donation, I will decree on you to die Mechalel Shabbat and lose your Olam Abba. I don't want to do it to you. Take back your check. Do tshuva, it's more important. A week later he came back. I did not have a rest from what you told me. You're willing to give up $100,000 just for me to become Shomer Shabbat? You left me no choice. You can relax. I kept the last Shabbat. Here is your check. You understand? Most rabbis, wow, so nice of you. Thank you. You saved us. Put him on a stage on the next event. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to present to you this guy Moshe. He came out of nowhere. He gave us the greatest donation we ever got in our congregation. We all owe him a huge gratitude. And people see a guy with the earring, ponytail, ripped jeans, driving on Shabbat, Goya girlfriend waiting for him outside. And what the congregation understand? 
that Hashem is nothing, is a picture on the wall. Who cares about Hashem? Who cares about the Torah? Who cares about mockering the Torah and modifying it? Everybody kiss up to the wicked people, compliment them, give them all kinds of honor. That's against the Torah. Only people that love Hashem and follow Him. People that are against Hashem, you're not allowed to love them. It's a verse in Tehillim. Everyone who are against you, Hashem is my enemy. I hate him. Not only that, King David add one more sentence in case you have a doubt. The hate that I have to the wicked people is the highest level of hate. I hate them more than any hate that possible for going against Hashem. That's the real Torah. Everyone who say otherwise, modify the Torah like the reformed people. We have to stick to the rules. To be Mekarev Jews, mitzvah gdola. To beg them to put filin and teach them, very big mitzvah. To invite them for Shabbat to show them how it is, very big mitzvah. If it doesn't affect your children. If you have little children that will learn bad things from them, not mitzvah to bring them home. Only when your kids are away or in camp, bring them. If your children on the table and they see their tattoos and ponytail and how they go out to smoke and comes back into the room with a cigarette smell, no mitzvah to bring them into the house. The only way to help other Jews is with one condition, that you will never bring your soul or your family souls down. If you will bring one of your children 1% down, you are dismissed from hospitality for the rest of your life. You don't have to bring guests to the house. You're not allowed. Well, I'm going to bring him, feed him well, teach him Torah. He's going to become religious and my kid will become a goy after that. I remember when I brought a bunch of uh, Israeli guys to my house about 20-something years ago. One of them had big tattoos in his uh, shoulder. And you know how they are. They take the shirt off. They're not exactly modest, these boys. They were sitting playing cards in the room. Three guys. And my two boys, they were like three and two or four and three, something like that. They walked into the room and they see a bunch of guys in Shabbat playing cards and without a shirt. And this guy has all these things on his thing. What do you think happened the next moment? I see my son drawing a picture on my other son's shoulder. An hour later already, what he saw is trying to imitate. What do you think? Little children are like parrots. Whatever you say, they repeat. I don't know otherwise. So you have to be very careful who you bring into your house. Oh, Abba, it's my uncle, it's my aunt, it's a holiday, come on. Give them a lot of respect. Go to their house and, do, and tell them thank you for whatever they did for you. It doesn't mean you have to bring them into your table that your children will learn from them how to be wicked. No, you're not supposed to. Let's just finish this subject because time is running out. The advice of putting the goyot in the streets caused us one of the biggest tragedies in our history. 24,000 people died. Now, Zimri ben Saluh is bringing a Goya into his home with no shame. Moshe Rabbeinu is shocked. He said to Moshe, are you going to give me a speech? 
your wife is also a Goya. Who is Sipora? Convert. It's the difference between Goya and a convert, right? By the way, among the Goyim, there's difference between the Goyot. The main issue from the Torah is from the seven cursed nations in the Torah. When the Torah say all the things that the Torah speaks about is mainly about those seven nations. Shiva mimekulalim that lived in Israel when they came. For that the Torah have zero tolerance for this kind of goyim. Not all the goyims in the world are equal, you should know that. For instance, Amalek is the worst. Amalek. You have an Arab. An Arab. And you have a German Amaleki. And the German is a professor in a university. Very liberal. Very humanic. Volunteer to the Red Cross. And the Arab is a real arrogant guy. Barely know how to read and write. Loud. Scream. Behave like a monkey. Who is in a higher level? The Arab is a much higher level than this German professor. If this German is Misera Amalek. Not all Germans today are real Germans. The Gemara say, Germans are Amalek. It's written in Gemara in Masechet Megillah, page 6, that the children, the children of Esav, who are they? The children of Esav? The Germania Shel Edom. Yaakov Avinu begged Hashem, don't let Esav succeed. Don't let Esav succeed. This is Germany of Edom, that if they come out to the world, they will destroy the whole world. So in the Gemara it shows you the Germany of Edom, those are the children of Esav, and Esav is Amalek. Right? The problem is, the problem is, Rabotai, that today all the Germans are not really Germans. It's all the nations got mixed. In the time of Sancheriv, you don't know who is who. But assuming it's really Amalek, and you have an Ishmaeli, some Ishmaeli from Saudi Arabia or Kuwait. There's no question. In the eyes of Hashem, who is considered better? This Arab is much better than this Nazi, than this Amaleki. Again, I, I take my words back. Not Nazi. Not Nazi at all. Not a murderer. Just a liberal professor from Berlin, but from the family of Amalek. Doesn't want to kill anyone. Not relevant. Like Jews, hate Jews. It's not even relevant. Teaching in the university and is a very polite person. Duncan Shen, Duncan Shen. But the Arab behaved like a monkey. Did not go to school. Walks in the street without a shirt. It's better than him. The Torah says, not me. I'm not uh, raiding people. Amalek has to keep Sheva Mitzvot Nenoa. All Goim must keep Sheva Mitzvot Nenoa. With no exception to the rule. Amalek, I made a lecture one. If Amalek come to convert, you have to convert him. Think about it. You have Mitzvah to kill him in the old days. But if he was smart, he come and say, excuse me. I want to be a kosher Jew. How do I know you're allowed to convert Amalekim? How do I know? The answer the Gemara say. 
the children of Haman learned Torah in Bnei Brak. Haman was the, <laughs> the head of Amalek, Aman Agagi, from the family of Agag, the king of Amalek. How is children learn Torah? A guy not allowed to learn Torah, needless to say, from the Zerah Amalek. The answer is, they converted. What was the merit? That because of Haman, all Jews made tshuva. Haman scared all the Jews. Fear is the number one tool to make Baalei tshuva. Even though many Mekarvim contradict and try to present otherwise, I don't know where they get their info from. The most productive way to take an atheist, anti-God, anti-religious person, and in one month to make him Shomer Shabbat, eating kosher, putting tzitzit on, and start keeping the mitzvot and coming to shul, one of the main things is fear. When he understands, there is a lot to lose. I may lose my olam abba. Chaz v'shalom, my soul will be cut. If I continue like this, I can die young. All the things the Torah spoke about, once he understands that, he realizes with God you don't play games. You only tell him nice things and pleasant things. Hamudi, mutzi, putzi, you're great. You're such a wonderful person. In 30 years it will be the same thing. You don't believe me? I have hundreds or maybe thousands of emails of people that write to me that they pray in specific shoes all over the world. I don't want to say what kind of shoes. And in 20 years, nobody there made one step forward in religion. Nobody. They write. Why? Politically correct style, modern style. Let's just finish this. Pinchas come with a spear and he killed Zimri ben Salu and the Goya. He killed them. When are you allowed to kill someone like that? When? What, you're just allowed to become a judge? You go and kill people? The only time you can do that is when they are connected together in the middle of the act. And when you are in a level of a zealous person, in case you think one of you is zealous, forget about it. From Pinchas until today, no one is allowed to do what he did. However, however, we have to understand one thing. What do we have to understand? Not only Pinchas is not considered a murderer, not only it was not a sin, not only it was not a crime, it's one of the biggest mitzvot that were ever done, to the point that Hashem took Pinchas and made him a Kohen. It was not supposed to be a Kohen, only Aaron and his children. Hashem gave him in any noten lo et briti shalom. I make an eternal peace with him and his children. Thanks to him, I did not destroy the Jewish nation. What did he do? He took a spear, like a sword, and killed that chief rabbi of the university. In the middle of the act with his Goya girlfriend. That's all he did. If he would do it today, 
what would be the response of all the modern, ultra-modern people all over the world with yarmulke on their head? Shame on you, radical, crazy, fanatic. Shame on you. Kill him. Arrest him. Let's demonstrate against him. Would Pinchas be able to give a speech in one synagogue in America? Do you know one board in one shul that would allow him to come give a speech a week after he killed the other rabbi with the Goya together in the middle of the act? The Torah say he saved the whole Jewish nation from genocide. Thanks to him, I still have relationship with the Jewish nation. 24,000 people died. If not him, everyone would die. Everybody owe him their life. And what the people would do today to someone like that spits at him. Don't come here. We don't want you to dive in here. Please, it's the last time you're coming here. I want to give a speech. Hashem loves me. No, we don't love you. You're too radical. you vile. That's it. True or not? You know what? You don't need to go to Pinchas. Moshe Rabbeinu would be able to give a speech in one synagogue in America today. Show me one shul that will approve him. I don't know where were you, you were, you were speaking over there to your friends over there. I already said that two minutes ago, but you were busy talking when I heard it all. I heard your conversation all the way from here. I only explained that today this halacha is not relevant and no one is zealous today and no one is allowed to do it. I say hypothetically speaking, if the halacha was still relevant today and someone would go and do such an act, anyone would let him enter the shul to give a speech? If he will make a wedding to his son, anyone would show up? Nobody. Everyone would play busy. Hey, mazel tov, mazel tov. But we can't come, we're busy. Why? I'm afraid to be a friend of such a radical guy. Why? Because the universities took over. There's no more yeshivot. Again today. What is this guy? What's going to be with you? May Hashem help you to save you from yourself. Okay, let me continue. All right, so Moshe, forget Pinchas, Moshe Rabbeinu today, after he wrote Sefer Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu would come, after he read Sefer Dvarim, and he would like to repeat one of his speeches in one of the shuls. They would let him talk. Huh? He would only be able to talk today on YouTube, nowhere else. Moshe Rabbeinu, if he wanted to speak today to us, he would have to do it through YouTube, CDs, USBs, and Facebook page. The word of Moshe, messenger of Hashem. No other place would let him speak. They would block him. Right, I'm sorry. You're right. All the Libras will report him as a hate speech. After all, Moshe Rabbeinu sent some harsh words in Sefer Dvarim. They would report him. All the liberals, report! They close his Facebook page. Rabbi, why didn't they report you yet? No, I'm saying you're, you're good, but it's crazy 
They report me all the time, don't get confused. <laughs> but the number of people who report me good are 10 times more. No, 100%. No, because on Facebook you have rating. You know. <laughs> so you have, you have from zero to five, zero to five. So you have 300 comments on my page and it gives me 4.5. Meaning 10% of the liberals penetrate my page and write against me. So it brings the rating to 4.5 instead of 5. From the 300 comments, 270 of them are, are wonderful. You saved my life, my whole family became religious. Then you have the liberal lowlifes who hates everything that is Musar, and they write bad things. You understand? Not to talk about the lies that they make, but even the things that they are correct about, what's their agenda? What's their agenda? To prevent more people from doing tshuva. They, that's what they want. You know, yesterday I spoke in my lecture, I told the story that I, I actually played it to some of the people, that, that I got this recording from Israel yesterday. We made two million CDs in Israel and gave them out. We did it one million, half a million, hundred thousand, and then we gave monthly thousands of CDs for a few years, and now we just did another hundred thousand. All together, a little bit more than a mi two million CDs. One mi one hundred thousand that we got was a CD called Ma'apecha Shel Emet, Real Revolution. It's an amazing thing. It's mamash, lots of films with music and pictures, all on one DVD. We gave them out and made a huge impact in Israel, a lot of ballet tshuva. People used to take bunches and go give them out. So here is the story. One of the people who were giving them out was smart enough to throw it on a grass of one of the houses. There's a gate, you cannot go in. It's a private home. So he threw it on the grass. The father of the family came in and saw CD on the grass, inside the case. He looked at that, Ma'apecha Shel Emet, real revolution with all kinds of films. He got curious, put it in his plasma TV, started to watch, got hooked. His wife, come, you must see it. They both started to see it. Right away, started the process of tshuva. Now they have two sons, secular and secular school, Ashafan Kibel Nazelet, Ken Latzipor. You know, if you know what I'm talking about. You're not a Shafan. <laughs> not supposed to sneeze. The Shafan Kibel Nazelet. Anyway, so they have two sons in public school. So they now brought the two sons to watch the films there. The two sons got hooked. Transfer them to the yeshiva of Rav Elbaz, Or Chaim. All four became ultra, ultra orthodox Haredim. With this one, this CD. How much a CD cost, darling? Someone threw it on the grass. On the grass. What do you have to lose? Either a dollar went to the garbage, or a whole family became Shomrei Mitzvot. Now the person that sponsored that CD, Everything has an address. From all the CDs who came on a, on a shipment, this guy donate X amount, this guy, this guy. Which CD, this CD came from what money? It's Hashem's decision. I'll explain. 
when you donate to Bet HaMikdash, the Chafetz Chaim say, everyone gives machatzit a shekel. Everyone gives the same amount. Some of it will go to very important cause in Bet HaMikdash. Some of that will go to buy food for the horses, meaning to put gas in a truck. Some will go into the yeshiva to learn Gemara. Some of the money will go to put gas in a truck that brings the food to the yeshiva. It's not the same level. Who decides which chashi shekel will go to Kodesh HaKodeshim and which chashi shekel will go to food for the horses? Hafez Chaim told us that. Hashem decides which money goes where. Based on what? Based on who you are. Based on how you give your donations. You give your donation for the sake of heaven, it's very high level. Or you give it for the show off. You give it with all your heart or you eat your heart when you give it. You give it generously according to your income or you're very stingy. You make millions and you give a few hundred dollars a month even though you make millions. It's not the amount, it's the percentage. You can be an avrech that makes a few hundred dollars a month and he gives one hundred dollars a month only. But that's 10% of his monthly income. And you can have a multi-millionaire Jewish businessman who owns a lot of businesses and make $10 million a year and give a $1,000 a month, which is a joke compared to how much he makes. $10 million he makes a year and he gives 12000 to save souls. That's a joke. It's a very sad joke. Who is considered much higher? The Bachur Yeshiva. But he only gave a hundred, I gave a thousand. But the hundred that he gave you came from the food that he's supposed to eat. That's, instead of buying extra bread, he stay a little hungry to be able to save souls. You, you gave a thousand from where? Before you finish to write the check, you already made ten thousand. You didn't feel anything. It's lefum tzara agra. According to the effort, that's how the reward is. And also, when all the people give money, which CD from what person will come to this person that became religious, and which one will go to the garbage, it's also Hashem's decision. Some people, Hashem does not want to give them the merit. I, don't want, I do not want this Jew to have one Baal Tshuva to his name, because then I will owe him for eternity. I don't want to owe this Rasha. I don't want to owe him. So all the CDs he sponsored went to the garbage. This kibbutzniks liberal saw rabbi, put it in the garbage. The other lefty put it in the garbage. Another one, a guy took it, ah, put it in the garbage. Another one person took it, I will watch it later and forgot it in the drawer for 10 years. What's going to come out of your CDs? It's Hashem's decision. Why Reuven gave a CD to Shimon and Yitzchak gave Yosef a CD? Shimon became a rabbi and Yitzchak became, I don't want to tell you what. Why? Both of them tried the same. He, Hashem, wanted him to earn one Baal Tshuva and he, Hashem, doesn't want to give him this gift. The Zohar say, if one Baal Tshuva came out to the world thanks to you, thanks to your mouth, thanks to your money, thanks to your effort, one Baal Tshuva, 
after 70 years of suffering, 70 years of suffering, your life was hell on here, on earth, hell. But you made one bad tshuva, you're the luckiest person in the whole world. Just for one bad tshuva, it was worth it for you to suffer 70 years in Auschwitz and make one bad tshuva than to live like a king in your yacht and your mansion and your fancy car and eating in restaurants every day and don't have one bad tshuva. One bad tshuva. And I want to remind you that it's not, so, it's not so difficult. Really, it's not so difficult. If you put many thousands of CDs, eventually for sure you're going to have one tshuva. Yeah, it has to happen. The problem is that most people are sleeping. They're not understanding what's going on. You give them the best investment for peanuts, and they don't, they don't care. They're just they're talking to the world, talking to the world, talking to the world. I, the amount of ballet tshuva that I made, the amount that has, that has more than $10 million for sure, just based on the homes and their businesses, is more... I know more than 500 of my Baalei Tshuva that has at least $10 million. Some of them is hundreds of millions, some of them even have billions. Where are they? I don't get a dollar from any one of them. I took them from the garbage and made them Baalei Tshuva and not one dollar a month they sent. Why is it? Pure ungratefulness. Pure ungratefulness. And there's nothing Hashem hates more than ungrateful people and proud people. Those are on the top of the list. You want to be on the top of the blacklist, make sure to be ungrateful and proud. Gvalev otolo uchal, anyone that is proud, I cannot stand him. Me and him cannot be in the same room. It's written in the Torah. And ungrateful people cannot convert ever to Judaism. Paro! And his Nazi nation, third generation, can convert. Ammon and Moab, they don't murder us. They are ungrateful. They didn't give us water and bread. I do not want them in my nation ever. Why? I don't want ungrateful people. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. I don't want them. I want to finish, I must finish right here. <laughs> Why the Torah say Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aharon Akoen? Usually the Torah doesn't go that far. Pinchas ben Elazar, that's it. We know who he is. Moshe ben Amram. Aaron ben Amram. Why the Torah had to add one more name? Why? Because from his mother's side, who is his grandfather? Itro. The Pope. His grandfather from his mother's side was the former Pope. He was the master of Avodah Zarah in the whole world. Became a Baal Tshuva. Left the Avodah Zarah. Became the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu gave his daughter Tzipora to Moshe, and from there, who came? Pinchas. So everybody started to speak about him. Who is he? Who does he think he is? 
he comes and kill a rabbi, Zimri ben Salu, the head of the tribe. People speak the way people speak. People like to talk non-stop, like birds, tzif, tzif, tzif. That's why someone that speaks Lashon Ara and God Etzarah has to bring birds. Why? Because birds is a sign of Lashon Ara. All day they make noise, non-stop. To show you who you are, like the birds, non-stop. So everybody speaks against him. So the Torah say, they say, oh, he has a murder in his genealogy. He come from the Goim. The Goim, my Adaim Sav. The Goim solve problems with, the, with their hands. Look, Iran, Arabs, Nazis. Look at, the, look at the world. Everything with war and violence. We, our power is in our mouth. The mouth is the mouth of Yaakov. So, of course, he's going to kill. He has in his genes the dirt of the master of Avodah Zarah, Itro. His father used to bring calves to the Avodah Zarah. Now he's coming to teach us what to do. He went and killed his rabbis, Imri ben Salu, the head of, she- of, she- of, she- of Shevet Shimon. What is this? And we're going to be quiet about it? The Torah says, yes, you will. He is going after Aaron, Ben Aaron Cohen. Why? What's the connection if his grandfather was, uh, used to be a goy and then he became a tzaddik? And now it's already a few generations later. What's the connection? The answer is, the Gemara say, after you convert, the effect of you being a goy remain for 10 generations. Only the 11th generation get completely clean from the tomato of goyim. 10 generations. I know few hundreds of goyim that converted Baruch Hashem with us over the years. Besides one girl that she's mediocre, Every one of them is ultra, ultra, ultra orthodox. I wish to all of you to be like them. Bachure, Shiva, Avrechim, some became rabbis. Mama, serious people. They gave up a lot to be Jewish. And they strict. 100%. And I'm sometimes thinking to myself, if this Mexican former Goy of Venezuela or this guy from Canada, if this is with... First generation, they're already in such a level when they did not get clean completely. Imagine after 10 generations. In one generation, still they, they came from where they came. You see it all the time, Rabotai. There's one a friend of mine, we'll finish with a story. A friend of mine, he owns a karate school here in Brooklyn. He already has this karate school for 30 years. Before I had one gray hair in my head. Let's put it that way. He was, by the way, one of my first 10 ballet tshuva, this karate master. And he represented United States in the Olympic Games in one of the, you know, the champions of karate, whatever you call it. When I came out with my first film, Divine Information, like 22 years ago, something like that, First he came in Hebrew with a video cassette, big cassette. 
Then we translated it with English subtitles. And we made a few tens of thousands here and we started giving them out. I gave him one of these films. And he had an uh, Italian-American girl running his business 22 years ago. 22 years ago. <coughs> and she watched that film, this Goya. It's a 72-minute film. She watched that film. She got the shock of her life. She told him, you have to help me to convert. I want to convert. She started learning Torah, 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 Torah. She's already a rabbit in his office all day listening to lectures. Very special soul. At one point, I will never forget this, Rabotai, this is 22 years ago. He told me, you don't understand what's happening here. I feel bad for her. I said, why? Why do you feel bad for her? He said, her father is a multi-millionaire. He has five children. She's one of five. He already made a saving for each one of them, $20 million. When he dies, it's already on their name. He just need to give the final signature to release the money. Her father told her, if you convert to Judaism, I erase your name from the estate, and your share I give to your four brothers and sisters. $20 million. She was in her 20s, young 20s, this girl. She told him, I don't care. If that's the truth, I'll give up the $20 million. Who would do the same thing here? $20 million? Who? Money blinds people. I was impressed. Remember, this was in the beginning of my career. I was only giving lectures for two, three years by, by then. To see such a thing? By the way, there's an explanation for that. The Zohar says that all the Goim who wanted to accept the Torah when Hashem suggested the Torah to all the nations, some wanted it, some did not want it. They had a vote. The majority of the Goim did not want it. We don't want any rules. Leave us alone. We're happy. But some of them say, hey, don't be stupid. Who is offering us his book? The God of Israel who took them out of Egypt and made all these miracles. All the Goim knew. Everybody knew, like Rahab said to Yoshua, we all heard what your God did to you in Egypt, even there was no CNN. Everybody knew. So the Goim knew. The Goim were impressed. Everybody knew the Jews are the special people, and the God named himself the God of Israel, and not all of them wanted to convert. So the majority of all the nations, they made a vote, the majority decided not to convert. But in every nation, you had few goyim who wanted to convert, but they couldn't. Because their nation did not want to accept the Torah. The Zohar said that these kind of souls coming back in reincarnation, coming back, and this next life, Hashem will already put them in a place that they will have access to the wisdom of the Torah and to some Jew who will inspire them and make them Jewish eventually. I say something, everything I told you now comes from the Zohar. I will say something from my experience. In today's generation, it goes both ways. The other way around, sometimes it's also true. You have Jews that are full of desire. 
they meet a Goya in a club or I don't know where. One day they decide to get married. They want to get married. Their parents say, well, you're going to marry a non-Jew that our grandchildren will not be Jewish? You're out of your mind. Some parents still care in Israel. Not anymore, like it used to be, but some still care. So they say to the son, if you marry her like that, you're done with us. Okay, I will convert her. Who are they going to come to? Come to a rabbi. They come to an Orthodox rabbi. Rabbi, can you help us out? The rabbi say, listen, even if we convert her after she learned and passed the test, she won't be able to be married to you. You're not Shomer Shabbat. You're the Jew. You eat treif. You're not Shomer Shabbat. You're not religious. We cannot convert her as long as she's in a relationship with you. You have to separate, disconnect for a few months, do tshuva, let her prepare for her conversion. You have to do bal, to become bal tshuva. After she converts, if you still want to get married, so there, this is what's happened. What's happening? They do what, they, what the rabbi tell them. She goes into the process of learning and learning and learning and learning. She becomes more modest. She's now Shomer Shabbat. She learns what kasher, what not kasher. She already, mamash, she's praying. She's mamash amazing. After six months, you cannot recognize her. A whole different person. With full of spirituality and inspiration. And all day she's watching lecture, one after the other. This guy has no choice. He's not... If he's not going to become religious, he's not going to be able to marry the girl he loves. So what happened? He watched with her. And he became a Baal Tshuva. So the other way around, the Goya actually made him Baal Tshuva. Funny? Yes. Reality? Yes. Happened thousands of times. But I have a third scenario. And that's the funniest. And it's also reality. They say, okay, no problem. So you come to a process of conversion. Yes, she begins to learn. She's listening to lectures. She's reading books. Then when she comes to the conversion, she comes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, to be honest with you, I don't want this Israeli guy anymore. He's not, he's not religious enough for me. I want someone really like a rabbi, someone that learns Torah. What is this guy going to give me? Remember, she became very religious. So she became a kosher Jew and kicked him out of the window. And who is he blaming? The rabbi. Not himself. This is what King Solomon said. <laughs> Commercial time, I guess. Ivelet Adam Tesalef Darko Vealashem is Aflibo. Ivelet means evil, stupid. Stupidity of a person will turn him away from the right track. And who is he going to blame? Hashem. Of course. Hashem, the rabbi. Same idea. Instead of taking responsibility, everything happened to me, I deserve it. <coughs> it's all 100% what I deserve to get, no complaints. I'm still looking for that hero 
that had a tragedy and come up and say, Rabotai, don't have mercy on me. I deserved it and I deserve ten times worse. Please don't have anything against Hashem. I have one friend like that. That he was close to 50. He was about 45. And he went to a famous rabbi in those days, 20, 20 years ago, who came to speak in Monsi and had hundreds of people in the audience. And he got up. Actually, someone else got up and he forced him to get up. The other person got up and said to the rabbi, I'm already close to 50 years old and I'm not married. I want the rabbi to give me a special blessing. Me and my friend here, that is also not married, that you give us a special blessing, everybody will answer amen and Bezrat Hashem will get married. So he made him get up. And the rabbi asked him, tell me, do you keep mitzvot? He said, yes. Kav Shabbat, yes. Kasher, yes. You learn Torah? Sometimes. You know what it means, sometimes. Huh? You know? Never. It means never. <laughs> so, we say to him, if you will accept on you to learn for three months, two hours a day Torah, I'm going to give you a special blessing. Everyone would say, Amen. Bezrat Hashem, you'll find your Shidduch. He said to him, you know what, what about one hour? He said, so six months. <laughs> six months. He said, okay, go back to the two hours. Man, without a woman, extra three months is a torture. If it can happen three months earlier, two hours. But you must learn. If you learn one minute less, the deal is off. No problem, I'm going to have, I'm going to time my learning. He gave him a bracha, everybody answer amen. I'm a witness that he learned for three months, two hours every day. Not actually, not actually more than that. He was timing 20 minutes, Mishnayot, he writes. Not to make mistake. That's how careful he was. Three months he learned, 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 learned. Did not get married. People asked him, hey, what happened with the blessing? So he instead because he did not want to disqualify the power of the Torah or the power of the Chacham. So he said to the people, I messed up. There were days that I did not learn. But he said to me, you know, you my witness, that I did not miss the minute. I stuck to the deal. But what would I say to people? They asked me, oh, uh, he gave you a blessing? Today we know the mystery. I don't want to go further because then you understand who I'm talking about. But the person who gave him the bracha, it's, it's, he's lucky he's still alive, this guy. Let's put it that way. Forget that he didn't get married. He's lucky he's still alive. No, no, don't talk. Don't, don't talk, please. You understand? So what happened? Until today, single. 15, 20 years later. The, the first guy got married and have kids and everything. Within a few years. But the second, but the, first, the interesting thing is that the first guy didn't even get a bracha. He right away focused on the second guy. The first guy, he didn't ask him, you learn Torah, you do, let's make a deal. Because he, he made this guy get up and he sat down. Forgot about him. And he's the one who got married. And the second one with the deal, until today, is going from one single event to the other. Trying to find his bashert. 
By the way, this generation has the biggest Shiduch crisis in the history of the world. <coughs> Hundreds of thousands of single guys and girls are single, cannot find their Shiduch. The system is totally collapsed. There's no serious Shatchanim, barely. Online is a big risk to meet people in kosher sites, supposedly, because a lot of secular people sneak in. Divorce rate is constantly on a rise. Every year it goes up a few more percent. The future is not uh, promising. Really, really, you have to, <laughs> to marry children today. You have no idea how much you have to cry to Hashem to have mercy on you. Doesn't matter what you are. Bad Shuva, Hasidish from Bert, Frum, Litai, Rosh Yeshiva. You don't know anymore what's happening to that. This young generation, especially here in America, they don't know anything from their life. They're young, they're not experienced. Most of them are very spoiled. They never did anything in their life. They grew up in a nice, warm environment. Everything was done for them. Wealth, uh, cleaning ladies. Now they have to deal with burdens of life on their own and they're not ready for it. Parents thought they're doing something good, but they messed up their future. Not only that, officially, Officially, every other person in America is under severe depression, officially. People are 18, 19, 20, 22 in severe depression, in hospitals for their depression, not just taking pills, Prozac. In hospital for depression. Psychologists, business are booming. Psychiatrists and psychologists, hundreds of dollars an hour and you need three months to wait to get an appointment. Nobody understands that everything here is collapsing. The future of the world is in a massive jeopardy. People don't see what's going on because nobody deal with the root of the problem. Everyone tried to deal with the symptoms. You have a depressed girl that wants to kill herself so you give her some medication to make her happy. <laughs> Drugs. But you don't solve the root of the problem. She's going to be depending on this medication forever. It's not going to fix the issue that she has in her head, in, in her life. It happens even to very religious people. But you know what's the biggest surprise? It also happened to Bachure Yeshiva. Everything, I understand why, but Bachure Yeshiva, to be depressed doesn't want to wake up for shachrit. Ten o'clock is in bed, no kriyat shema, doesn't want to leave, I wish I wouldn't wake up. What's going on here? Everything is collapsing, Rabotai. Besides crying to Hashem with a broken heart, there's really not much of a solution. There's no way, there's no way. People have no idea what to do. Nobody knows what to do. People get married and they don't get to finish the Sheva Brachot. When did you ever hear such thing in history? You make reservation in a restaurant to cater the Sheva Brachot six days after the wedding and then he gets two days later cancellation. They already divorced. Did you ever hear such thing? It happens many times. Ask the owners of the catering companies. How many times things like this happen? Investing fortune in fancy weddings Two, three ladders, it all goes to the garbage. And everybody stay with a scar for life. 
We have nothing, nothing to do anymore besides crying to Hashem and beg every day to Hashem when you pray to cry, to cry like a baby. Help me, help me, I'm desperate. I'm no one besides you. Not my college degree, not my father's money, nothing helps me, nothing. Just I'm 100% in, in your hand and under your mercy. You have mercy on me? Fine, if not, I'm finished. That's, that's the right approach now. Because it's the moment of desperation now. Moment of desperation, mamash. People are begging, crying to Hashem that their children will be big Talmidei Chachamim. I say pray to Hashem that all your children will stay Shomrei Shabbat and from almost every family has one victim or two or three or, or ten. Almost every from family lost children that became goyim, secular. Almost everyone, everywhere, everywhere you go. I know some of the greatest families, I don't want to say names, famous families. This one secular, this one that, this one that. I don't want to go into more details. Why? All values collapsed. All a show of. Everything is external. Even religion, religion, most people don't deal with midot, with behaving, with all the things that I speak about in my lectures. Sometimes very religious people from very important family, they come to me. Doesn't matter, Litvish, Hasidi, Sfaradi. They come to me and say, you know, until I started to listen to these Musar talks that you have, I thought religion is something completely different. From the minute I started, to, I realized what the Torah is about. Because in my world was, just be a Talmud Chacham, that everyone will bow down to you. And what about the pride? And what about the selfishness? And what about the way you hang your jacket on your, on your shoulders and the head like this? And you're coming 20 minutes late to Shachrit. Two minutes you pray and you run quickly to your nonsense. What about all this show-off? What about everything that happens around? What about all the racism? What about everyone who thinks he's a god? What about all this? One of the things we can learn a lot from Rav Steinemann, that when people used to come to him to talk about one thing, in their face, it's all gaiva. It's one, mila, one principle of yeshiva. He came to Rav Steinemann to ask him about two or three kids that they don't want to accept, Sfaradim, in Bnei Brak. So he wants to get a stamp of a big rabbi that the people would leave him alone. Hey, how you throw kids out of the yeshiva? You have this video on YouTube. You can see it. You don't have to believe me. Two menalim of an important yeshiva. They start to explain to Rav Steinman that these kids are not in the level of the class. They come from Balei Tshuva family. Their parents are not in a high standard of the rest of the parents. And they don't want to ruin the yeshiva. They gave all the explanations of the lawyers. And what did Rav Steinman answer then? All of you are full of gaiva. It's all gaiva. You're full of pride. Yeah, none of you is Shem Shamaim. In their face. It's gaiva, gaiva. So we cannot throw the kids? Cannot throw the kids. You must keep them in. But they're not. And no matter what they say, they shove that in their face. It's on YouTube. You can see it. It's all gaiva. You're full of ego. If the kid will drown, you care if his level is zero there. Get him a tutor an hour a day. Volunteers. Bring, take all the weak kids on the side, make them a class one hour a day to bring them up to the level of the yeshiva. 
No, but you want your yeshiva to be the Harvard of the yeshivot. You don't want people to say that you have some kids that are not so bright in learning Mara. This is what, you, what it is. You don't really care about other things. It's all about the show, the prestige, the name. This is what Hashem wants. Hashem cares where the kid is born, what his last name, what's the color of his skin. That's what Hashem cares about. A lot of these people, they're murdering souls day and night for 20, 30, 40 years. As being mechanchim. And I will finish with a story that I said yesterday in a lecture. Just for that, it was worth it for you to come to the world. Not to come today, to the world. Just to hear this story. There's one Rebbe in Israel in his 60s. One person in his 40s came to that Rebbe. Hi, Rebbe, how are you? You remember me? No. Who are you? My name is such and such. Don't remember. I used to be a student when I was a little kid. First grade. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, I had thousands of students. I don't remember. I'll tell you a story that will remind you for sure who I am. But I just want you to know that I'm also a Rebbe. And you know why I'm a Rebbe? Thanks to you, I'm a Rebbe. I decided to be a Rebbe thanks to you. You influenced me to be a Rebbe. Why? What did I do? He said, one time a kid from Yeshiva came with a special watch that nobody had. In those days, it was poor days. Somebody came with a special, maybe calculator watch, something that just came out. All the kids were around. Everyone tried the watch on their hands. And after uh, 10, 20 minutes, somehow the watch disappeared. Where is the watch? You have it? No, you have it? Where is the watch? The kids that, bought, that came with the watch started to cry. Someone stole my watch. The rabbi say, if anyone here by mistake took the watch, maybe his Yetzirara pushed him to do something not right, please return the watch. Nobody moved. So he said, okay, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to check in your pockets. He locked the door of the, of the class. Please, everyone, stand online. I want everyone to close their eyes. Nobody dare to open up his eyes. And I will go quickly and check in the pockets of each one of you. This, the, the young Rebbe is talking to the old Rebbe now. So he said to, me, to him, you started to check in the pockets of all the kids. I was the seventh one in the list. You came to my pockets, you put your hands in my pocket, and you found the watch in my pocket. I, I was sure already that I'm going to get the biggest embarrassment of my life, but you took the watch click quickly and you didn't say a word, and you continued to go to the next of the children, the rest of the children, and check their pockets. After you finish, you say the watch was found, here, come take your watch, that's it. I was sure that now you're going to call me Later on, to talk to me about how can I steal? I'm a student in yeshiva. How can I do such thing? One day, two days, three days, you did not say a word about it. You never told me anything about it. I was so grateful to you all my life for not embarrassing me in that moment that I decided that you are my role model. And I will be just like you, a good mechanic. Now you remember me? The Rebbe said, no. Ah, how can you not remember such a story? You don't remember? 
He said, I remember the story, but I don't remember you. How come? He said, because when I was checking in the pockets of every one of the students, I myself closed my eyes. I did not want to know there's a thief here in the class. How would I be able to teach him? Who knows what I would think about him? Until today, I never knew who was the thief. And you just came and told me, but I don't remember anyway who you used to be. You understand, Rabotai? That's what it means to give your life for the, for the children, to care. Everyone is equal. It doesn't matter where they come from. This guy's father is rich. This guy's poor. This guy's father is a rebbe. This guy has no father. What difference does it make? You have Jewish neshamot. Each one of these neshamot is important to Hashem. Each one of them. That's the problem of some of these principles that they forgot that they have in their hand right now. They are babysitter of the most important things to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Jewish neshamot. I'm not even talking about all the other crimes that happen without going into details today. Hashem Irachem, that you hear about it all the time in the news. This is the world we live in. You have to beg Hashem that your children will go to school and come safe, that no one will touch them, that no one will do things to them, that no one will brainwash them to become kofrim. So many dangers out there. And then the one day they'll find the right shiduchim and they'll stay religious. You want your kids to be Rosh Yeshiva? Tafasta merubelo tafasta. Beg Hashem that every one of your children will stay from. Why? Because in such a world we live in, to keep all your children religious and emunah in Hashem and decent people, And decent people, that's already a huge achievement. If you have six, seven, eight, nine kids, and before you leave the world, you can say every one of my children is a decent person. No one is a crook, no one is a con artist, no one is a thief. People dress, my daughters are modest, they're all Shomrei Shabbat. None of them is a rabbi. None of them is a big Talmit Chacham. They all work for a living. This guy's a plumber. This guy is an electrician. This guy has a bookstore. This guy sells diamonds. But they all from, they all daven, they come early to the shul, they learn an hour or two a day. That's already a huge achievement. Not like they teach in some of the yeshivot. You're not a ben Torah, you're nothing. Yeah, yeah, be a ben Torah and a fool of gaiva. Hashem cannot look at you with your Torah. The, the more Torah you learn, the more monster you become. Just because now you have what to beg on. I've seen hundreds like this. Hundreds like this. I, I'll never forget, I went one to Daven in a place. I was waiting 10 minutes until someone will come out at Double Park. Finally, one person is coming out. You want to go Daven, you have to find parking. Just when I'm about to go reverse to park, someone came from behind, walked in. I said to him, come on. What's going on with you? I've been waiting here 10 minutes. He said, you don't belong here. I do. Meaning you are Sfaradi, I'm not. That's what he meant. What, what does it mean you don't belong here? Someone like this has a chance to make it to Olam Abba, what do you think? <laughs> if he does tshuva, of course. The only way he can do tshuva is to find me and ask and apologize to me and he won't find me. 
rest of my life I מצוות שבן אדם לחברו אין יום הכיפורים מכפר until שירצה את חברו. That's the הלכה. I forgive him. Let's make it clear. I forgive him. I forgave him. So now he has no problem with me. His problem is with Hashem. The question is, the question is, Did he really become a better person since then? Only Hashem knows. According to you, what kind of person he would be if he didn't know the Torah? He would be even bigger monster. Next up, he's learning something. Good point. Finally, you made a good point. Baruch Adonai, le'olam, amen ve'amen. Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashiah.